Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spin-off from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, common traveler mistakes or newbie mistakes for moto travelers. But before we get going, I want to give a shout-out to some people that have really helped the show this past month with the support of $50 or more. We really appreciate any support we get, but $50 or more just makes such a huge difference for us. And this is really what I always say is above and beyond the call of duty. Thank you very much to Paul Murray, Ethan Smith, Dean Hillier, Michael Cagle, Clement Abundandlo, Carrie Barnes, Mike Riddling. Thank you all very much. You just made a huge difference this month. Support of $50 or more gets your name here on the show, but we would love your monthly support on our patron account, our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on the support button. This episode of Raw is supported by freshtracks.co.uk, facilitating adventurous conversations. And here we go ARR Raw for April 2019 in season four. From the Canoe West Media Studios on the shores of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada, it is April 2019 and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw and personal. And this episode of Raw is brought to you by Fresh Tracks, freshtracks.co.uk, facilitating adventurous conversations, much like I hope we do here on Raw, freshtracks.co.uk. We're we're very pleased to have Fresh Tracks. My name is Jim Martin and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet. I am joined by my esteemed regular Overland co-host. I'm going to start off with Graham Field. Graham, where are you? I'm in the shed. I'm in Bulgaria, home. Uh, it's raining, which is actually lovely because it hasn't rained for so long. Uh, in fact, I think probably the last precipitation we had was in the form of snow. So it's this beautiful, fresh spring rain. Everything's green and lovely. But I wasn't going to talk about the weather. I was going to talk, or as an introduction, what happened to me last week. Uh, I've just, I've just sold my Ducati, and uh, there's a guy coming all the way from England actually come down and buy my Ducati because uh, he realised that bikes are a lot cheaper in Bulgaria than they are in the UK. So he's driving down here to buy a few, buy a few bikes and take them back. And uh, so I thought, oh, you know, take it out one last ride, make sure everything's okay, and. Uh, Went down this uh, bit of road, which got a couple of nice bends and then a straight bit, overtook a few trucks, wasn't going super fast, maybe 70 miles an hour, and it went into a tank slapper. And it's the only, the second tank slapper I've ever had. And Jesus Christ, it's scary when that happens. And I mean, I have since looked at YouTube videos of what you should do when they happen. I don't really know what I did. And thankfully, the bike corrected itself. But then it sat there revving at five grand. So I kind of pulled over because I was shaken. And the bike's just revving at 5,000 RPM. So it's the weirdest thing. It was a clear road ahead of me. I wasn't going super fast. I've got pretty good vision. I don't think I hit anything like a stone or an animal. And it just went in this tank slap. And then sat there and it, it's it sat there revving at, at five grand. So I turned off the engine and then, um, so let, let the trucks pass, calm down a bit, had a little look over. The throttle was working. You could see it opening and closing. Everything was fine. Start press the starter again and it instantly went up to five grand. So I had to try and do a U turn <laughs> and come on with the thing revving at five grand. And, uh, and then for some reason, 
the roofs just went dead back to normal again. So it's absolutely fine again now. So I don't know if it was just pissed off that I'm selling it and it's going back to England or <laughs> what the problem is. But, oh, those tank slappers, horrible, horrible moments. There's a couple of things there that, that strike me. One is you're from the UK and you're selling a bike cheaper only because you're in Bulgaria to some guy that comes from the UK to buy it cheap because you're in Bulgaria. I don't know. The, the math isn't adding up here. Well, I've been trying to sell it for a year and I've been, since I got the Thruxton, the Thruxton does everything that Ducati does, except tank slappers, and uh, and I just don't need it anymore. So um, and I, every time the advert is up for renewal, I drop the price and drop the price, and I didn't realize quite how much I dropped it by, so it was a bit of a bargain, but mm. uh, not if it's going to throw you off, it's not. But it's revving at five grand. You sure it wasn't your hand on the throttle because you were so panicked? <laughs> no, I'm doing it. Still with it. No, no, it was the weirdest thing, and that's all corrected itself. God knows what that was. Do you, do you think yeah, the, yeah. the steering head bearings are, are loose or something? Well, everything seemed fine. Jacked it up. It all feels all right. Um, it's only got, I mean, it, it's, it's only got 5,000 miles on the clock. Okay, it's an 18-year-old bike, but it's super low mileage. And, I mean, it, it, it doesn't get used. That's why I'm selling it. It spends the winter in the house and the summer in the garage, and it goes out for – my joke used to be, oh, I take it out once a month for a little 30-mile uh, ride and come back and shake with adrenaline. <laughs> I had that this time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is that is scary stuff. We'll come back to this. Um, Grant Johnson is in – I think you're at home, aren't you, Grant? Yeah, I'm at home. Nothing too exciting happening here, just working away. We've got all kinds of events to open up and get things organized. My programmer is coming over from the UK to visit us for a week, so we're going to be spending some time looking in the guts of the website and getting things improved and updated. So that's about it. Yeah, you're, you're getting into your real busy season now, aren't you? Things are, I mean, you've had your vacation for the, so to speak, your vacation, yeah. non-vacation. <laughs> Yeah, we've got, uh, I think, 25 events this year and uh, lots of some new ones. We've got Romania has been added onto the schedule and a few others. So we've got lots going on, lots happening. And um, I'm looking forward to actually getting in some riding soon. Did you get your bike out of the shed? Well, I can get it out of the the um, underground parking. Underground parking is ugly thing, but that's where it's raised right now. But uh, yeah, I can get it out and get it insured and get it on the road and Get out and do some riding. I really, really, really badly need it. I need it. Yeah, I need to go for a ride. I like underground parking. And never having lived in a city or have anything to do with a city, anytime I've been in underground parking, I love it for several reasons. One, it's really neat. You just go round and round in circles and keep gaining elevation. <laughs> Two, your tires <laughs> squeal like crazy in there. And it just seems like so much fun. It's very exciting. I don't have that kind of a big parking lot. <laughs> this is just a little tiny one where it's all you can do to get your car out of the spaces. It's um, a nine-unit apartment block, so it's very small. Mm, mm, but that's okay. That makes that makes the bike more secure. And the thing I don't like about underground parking is that it, for the, the larger parking lots is that you don't know who's down there, and they've got a nice, quiet place to work on your bike and take what they want. It makes me nervous in most uh, underground parking. I had a guy come up here from uh, Columbia. He was Columbia, and he rode all the way up here and was very careful about making sure the bike didn't get stolen and nothing happened and was very careful about it. Got to Vancouver, a nice, safe place, and parked his bike in underground parking, came back, and the contents of his tank bag were gone, including the camera that he left in it. Mm. Mm. I'm sorry. That was, that was dumb. I mean, Vancouver is a nice, relatively safe city, but not that safe. Oh, I mean, generally, you keep your most important stuff in your tank bag and always take it with you. I mean, yes. That's kind of... If yeah. it's not rule number one, it's pretty high up there. <laughs> 
Grant, you're going to have to get that bike out, get it onto the ferry and come over here to Vancouver Island so we can go for a ride. But but we'll, we'll, we can also come back to this because they're going to zip over to the UK and bring in Sam Manicom. And I think he's only in the hey. UK for a short time. Am I correct? I am. Two rides. I've got um, 24 hours left. Yeah, 24 hours. And then I am off. I'm flying over to the States. I can't wait to be back there. Back to the U.S. as yes. again. <laughs> Two rides. <laughs> Do you know, I really enjoy riding in the United States. Every time I go, I go to a different part and plan different routes out. And um, I'm just spending every day there seeing new stuff and meeting lots of really interesting people. Um, I have an absolute ball over there and I've got six weeks. And yeah, I can't wait. It's um, it's going to be a buzz. But, but you're probably busy, pretty busy while you're over there. Yeah, I mean, as far as your schedule goes, do you have any extra time built in there to enjoy? Um, what I try and do is on a six-week trip, um, I'll sort of slot about a week and a half in splitting two, into two sections to go off and do something different um, rather than um, working my way along. Um, and yeah, that's good. Of course, I want more time. I want to go off for a month and just um, diddle around in the back roads and get off the beaten track. But um, that's not exactly practical. But hey, listen, I've got some news. Um I'm going to be on a new bike. Um, this is going to be only the third motorcycle I have ever owned. I have bought myself um, a BMW um, F800 GS. Um, 60,000 miles on the clock, and it's been an absolute buzz fitting it out with all of that, the gear and everything else. Um, I've managed to get hold of some um, various bits and pieces and... Um, made some bits and pieces and um, my suitcase to go over to the States is is full of stuff to fit onto the bike. I think I've got two cha- uh, two changes of underwear and two t-shirts and the rest of the suitcase is full of stuff for the bike. Um, wow, that's going to be quite a difference from your old bike. I mean, I think that's uh, what, like 80 more horsepower than your old bike? I have no idea. No, it's um, 85. I figured your old R80 has got to be about five, I guess. It is a very, very different ride. Um, I've, uh, the last couple of trips that I've done in the States, um, I've been riding um, F800s, and I just like the way the bike and I fit together, the, the ergonomics, um, and I like what it does. It's, it's a very, very capable bike, so I'm looking forward to, to riding it. I've actually bought it from Mark Carrera, who is the US rep for Outback Motor Tech, and he's been absolutely amazing. And I'm giving him a, a little plug here because um, as the various bits and pieces of equipment, the Jesse Panniers and, and so on have been arriving, Mark very kindly has been fitting them to the bike for me so that um, when I land, um, we can just get on and go riding. So, um, nice. Mark, he, he listens to the Sorry. show. He, he's posted about it before. Yeah, he does. Um, he's he's um, and he's always posting when the new show comes out and so on. So yeah, he's top guy. Wow, that's that's really exciting. Now now I'm I'm gonna get them in here because it's been so quiet from the land of Oz till now. It's probably gonna be the quietest it's going to be for the entire show. But Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are about to enter winter in Australia. Good morning, um, Jim. You know how fond I am of you. Right? Sure. You, you seriously need to get out more if one of the highlights of your life 
is driving through an underground car park. <laughs> well, you know, if, if, you, if you don't live near this stuff and you didn't grow up near this stuff, I mean, it can be exciting. You know, the same as a, a large overpass, you know, a bridge. They can be exciting too. I mean, they're just interesting. Covering but, all aspects too. Ridden over your, land, now going underground. <laughs> your holiday photos must be a real treat. Look at this overpass. Look at this level three of an underground car park. Woo-hoo. I've only ever taken one holiday, I think, in in my life. I, I, I went on my honeymoon, and I'm, I'm just waiting for the next one as far as a holiday goes. Was that to a multi-story oh, really? car park? <laughs> I just went to the airport parking, and that was enough. Did you see the video that I put up? It was great, wasn't it? <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> Oh, Hello dear. from the golf fields. Yes, hi everyone. And um, I've got some words of advice for you, Graham. The oh, reason yeah? your bike broke down, mate, it's bloody Italian. It's <laughs> 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 as simple as that. It's it was, Italian, it was, mate. Now, if it's electrical road, fault, right? I would have been with you all the way. But, but I think they're pretty good at their handling, you know. They, they, do, uh, they do suspension of shocks quite well. And, yeah, you know, you know how to get out of a tank slapper. Now, this takes big cojones. You, you accelerate. You yeah. accelerate out of it. That you is not instinctive. No, it's not, but it is the right way. And I actually thought that the tag to that story, Graham, was going to be that you trailed the bike and you had to oh. ring the man who was coming from England to say, it's now in a bucket and a big plastic bag and it's here. Thought, you know, it, it's beautiful, covered in red plastic. They don't bounce well. And I thought, <laughs> I thought shit, this is it. It's going down, you know, but it, it, it strained itself. But that would have been it, wouldn't it? <laughs> Little phone call. How far are you? Romania. I suggest you do a U-turn. <laughs> no, 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 no. Come on, come on, Grant. You, you can get the salesmanship going here. Um, yeah, I've, um, I've heavily modified it. <laughs> I've lightened it. When does this guy pick it up anyway? Because I, I'm sort of thinking, you're talking about it now. Um, you know, there's a remote chance this guy might listen to the show. Not unless you break up your own personal record in editing and getting it on air. No, I'm safe. I considered this. Oh. <laughs> a, a shot. <laughs> I, I, talking about underground car parks, I've got to have a bit of a gut myself here. I took my two sons on this memorial ride that we do, and we we decided to stay in town, and a friend put us up in an apartment in town, and uh, we had a car park, an underground car park that you went in. You needed a code to open the the boom gate and all that sort of stuff. So we parked our three bikes in there, and I'm the only one with the code, and we're leaving to go on this ride at some ungodly hour, like 6.30 in the morning. So I go down, we all get on our bikes, we all load up, and, you know, you come down those ramps and, um, you know, it's a bit of a slope down to, to get when you get to the boom gate. So I've pulled up there and I've pressed the buttons to open the boom gate and the two boys put their bikes in gear and moved out and they're a bit slow doing it. So I put my bike into gear and as I've gone through, the boom gate has come down oh, and no. taken off the bloody mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! It did bend the boom a little, but um, oh, I just straightened it out. It's okay. Brian, so, yeah. 
Brian, I cringed when you started telling this story. Berg and I, a couple of years back, were going down through France and we'd gone gone across on the ferry from um, the UK to Cherbourg and we planned a place to stay for the first night that wasn't too far away in case the, the voyage had been really rocky and we were both a bit knackered from it. Um, and we ro- rolled into this campsite and it was it was an expensive one. You know, we decided we'll spare no expense. I know this is me saying that, but I'll anyway... So we went inside. Yeah, I know. I'm sweating as I'm telling this story. So don't worry um, for two reasons. Um, Anyway, we went inside and um, the chap spoke really good English and um, didn't laugh at my bad French. And um, he said, yep, fantastic. Pick whatever plot you want. I'll open the barrier for you. So Birgit was parked up in in front, um, just to the side of the barrier. She pulled straight through. My bike was at 90 degrees, so it took me a little bit longer to turn around. I'm going through and I've got the... um, the, the, the front of my helmet flipped up. I don't see the barrier coming down. <laughs> and I tell you what, the first time I knew that barrier was there was when it was in front of my face and my face was hitting it. <laughs> it, it threw me and the bike to the ground and my face broke the barrier off. Was that a hospital trip? No, it's amazing. I'm, I've got a really thick head. Um, moving rapidly on. Um, but, you know, the kicker in this was um, the guy said that I'd driven at the barrier on purpose and no. called the police. And oh, it was all very, very entertaining. Um, I was terribly English right the way through. And I tell you what, my lip was so stiff. It took me a long time the next day before I unstiffened it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And funny enough, I came across the insurance papers and everything from that the other day and all of the police reports. It makes them quite entertaining reading. You know, it's one of those things that after, a long time after the event, you think, yeah, actually, that was bloody funny. But at the time, no, it wasn't. So I'm, I'm glad you survived your episode, Brian. Yeah, thanks, mate. Well, that could be your next book, you know, bloopers on the road or something like that. <laughs> oh, mate, it'd be a fat book. Well, that kind of brings us into what we're talking about today is common mistakes that, that um, in particular, I guess, that newbies make on the road. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll have some things in here that those that are, are out there looking to, to travel or looking to go somewhere can learn from. But um, <laughs> newbie mistakes, it, uh, well, that was one of them right there. Sam, what sort of warning would you give or what was, what was learned from that? Um, That's what I thought. So we'll just move on then. <laughs> actually, you know, Jim, it's actually a very good question. The first, the first answer to that is when you're when you're going through one of those situations where you've got a barrier, don't park at ninety degrees to the barrier. Park pointing in the direction of the barrier. If I'd done that, I would have been through no problem at all. And the second thing is always ask the guy who's in control of the barrier, "Would you keep it up long enough for me to go through?" He pressed the button and turned his back on it. Mm, yeah, you're you're starting to scare me from the underground parking <laughs> I think saying to the guy, <laughs> saying to the guy, will you keep it up long enough for me to go through? I mean, he's got one job, isn't he? <laughs> 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 he may feel a little patronised if you ask him that. Yeah, don't worry about anyone else. Just you go first and let everyone else uh, battle the barrier. That's mine. Yeah, I've got long Silence. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for common mistakes, I think we could probably all agree on, uh, I know what everybody's going to say. Well, just quickly, let's go around here. What's the top number one common mistake that I'm sure we're, everybody's going to say the same thing? Too much stuff. Yeah, I've been packing. Yeah, too much stuff. 
Too yeah. much stuff trying to do it all too quick. I was thinking a little bit further, uh, further out than that. I was thinking people um, – and you get the common question, oh, I need to carry all this fuel. No, you don't. You don't have to carry fuel. You know, Wherever there's a town, there's fuel. Seriously, me, Brian, you, you weren't going to say too much stuff? Of course he was going to say too much stuff. He was looking at me as he was about to utter it and you all got in first. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I was actually going to say too many tools. Yeah, well, tools you can't use. So too much stuff, I guess, is the the most common one, right? I mean, you know, you guys have all done it. Uh, Graham, when's the last time you did it? Did what? I had it this morning, actually. It was really good. <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we did politics. <laughs> the people listening to this show has have not heard what went on before we hit the record button just now. So they're not going to get what you said. Although I imagine they could use their imagination and, and fill in the blanks. Oh, but what I was referring to... There's imaginations to, working wild out there, Jim. <laughs> Your girlfriend is home, isn't she? Yeah, what, she's in the other room. I like I like the way Shirley's Stop. telling Brian to shh. That's good. <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> so, so, is, is she blushing? I can't see. Her. I'm in the shed, so um, she'll be listening to this on her headphones in a week or two, and I'll probably get a call. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think you'll get a belt around the left ear, old, won't you? <laughs> well, it's funny because we're saying, so, I wonder what people are doing in the build-up to going on air. I said, Sam's probably on Wikipedia doing his research. Rich is probably having a cocktail around the pool. Sam's <laughs> probably checking out the Horizon site. Jim's probably fiddling with his knobs and buttons. What am I doing? <laughs> Fiddling with your knobs and buttons. <laughs> oh, no. We're moving rapidly on. Listen, this is too early in the morning. No, hang on a minute, isn't it? Oh, excuse me, I'll be Late back in half now. <laughs> Graham, that means, that means you're not going to get anything for a long time. <laughs> wow. No. And, and, Jim's, and Jim's sitting there thinking, now, how much of this should I edit out? Oh, nothing. <laughs> Nothing's going. <laughs> this is going to completely stay in. <laughs> So, so back to the back to the question at hand. So, what exactly did you do? <laughs> sorry, no, that wasn't it. No, no, no. Sorry, I meant when was the last time that you overpacked? I thought you got back to the text. Yourself home. Um, uh, what was? There were so many things I had to say, and so many things I stopped myself saying. What was the question again? Well, we were talking about overpacking. We're trying to get over the overpacking thing because we all were going to say the same thing, and that's a pretty common one that comes up for travel. Are we going to other newbie mistakes? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, we're going to go to other common mistakes, but I was sort of looking for when was the last time that you overpacked? Oh, um, actually, I must say, and I think we've done this before, you know, I do now have a list when I get back from Big Trip. Everything that comes out of the panniers, I make a note of every single thing that came out of it and a little star next to it, whether it got used or not. But you see, now I do these little two and three day trips on the Thruxton off to Romania or Serbia or somewhere. And it's got such tiny panniers. And I learned the hard way that now I take a spare inner tube and tire levers and enough to at least change that. But I take so little because they are only a few day trips. And that's really wonderful to get that down. I mean, an SAS saying is that whether you're going away for three months or three days, pack for three days. Well, that's great if you're an SAS commander, but maybe not if you're an overland rider. But um, I, I have got a lot better at, at, at packing less, but still there is 
I've got a long, long way to go. But you, as you do it, you know, you sit there and it's like an insurance policy. You look at that part sitting in the shed, that spare in a tube, that extra tire lever, that voltmeter, whatever. You think, oh, I'll just put that in. I'll just put that in. And before you know it, your panniers are bulging, your bike's heavy, and you've lost all your dexterity and control because the thing's wallowing like a hippo on acid or something. That's quite a description. I like that one. That's different. What you said. But I like what you're saying, though, about the insurance policy, because, you know, there is a lot of crap that you want to take out. I mean, even me with shorter trips, a lot of crap I want to take out, like, for instance, the spare inner tubes that, you know, it was like last week or two weeks ago or whatever it was. Uh, I was out for a ride, got two flats in one day and ended up running out of out of patches <laughs> for my tube. I had patches on my patches on this tube. I don't know what was going wrong with me, but but I mean, it was um, it was one of those examples of I certainly could have used my full normal I'll take all the gear with me thing, but I didn't. You, you never know what you're going to need. Do you not take your first aid kit because you didn't use it last time? Well, um, what if you do need it? Then you really, 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 really need it. So it, it's it's always a tough battle as to just how much is enough and how much is too much. I think you have to think about how much do I need at the side of the road versus how much do I need that I could actually get in town when I finally get there. Because mm. you don't get something in town. Well, you know, with a first aid kit, though, mm. you can get, you can actually get by. I think, in a lot of cases, without your first aid kit, because what's in your first aid kit? In, like I'm talking for a short trip here. Uh, if you go on a short trip, what's in your first aid kit that you couldn't improvise? Band aids. Well, you got duct tape. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah. you know, a part a part used roll of duct tape was me, and well, what mm-hmm. more do you need? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. And I, I agree with that. And like a tourniquet, uh, a t-shirt, yeah, tear up a t-shirt. Yeah, it's funny. Everybody always yeah. talks about a tourniquet. I mean, that, that's like, like such a desperate measure thing. But but <laughs> I see that all the time when people are talking about first aid. You know, you need. To, should you learn how to to apply a tourniquet? That's um, that's pretty severe. Uh, I've used it. Have I've you? done it. Yeah, I don't think I want to hear this. Uh, <laughs> Well, if you if you do, um, there's a guy. Yeah. No, I said no. Wow. Okay, go ahead. Guy, go, no, he can't. He can't hold fr- back. <laughs> a guy was in front of us. Uh, we were just cruising through some hills, and he was um, came into a corner too hot, locked up the back wheel, round a blind corner on the wrong side of the road, and he had full leathers on, and there was some fresh arm covers on a on a quite a mountainous uh, road, and his leg went over the arm coat and cut uh, the femoral artery on the inside of his right leg as it went over the top of the arm coat. And the bike, he, he, he came to a stop. He didn't drop the bike and he fell to the ground. And he, well, the femoral artery is a big bleed. Um, so, yeah, you don't, probably don't need to know any more than that. Mm. But I mean, lucky that a man like you was with was there. Oh, yeah, you go back to your old training and uh, you do the best you can. And I, I kept second-guessing myself if I'd done the right thing. And I rang a nurse and she said, and he lost his leg, but it saved his life. And uh, that sort of consoled me a little. But, yeah, it's mm. it's hard. But, yeah, again, you didn't need a tourniquet. A piece of clothing was good enough. Back to the first aid course. We should always renew, our, renew it and keep reminding ourselves just in case. That's True. a very good point, True. Grant. I haven't had it, uh, been on a first aid course for years. Wow. Yeah, it's been too yeah, long. Timely reminder. 
Yeah. Well, I used to do them all the time for, because we were, we were guiding wilderness trips and you need to have the advanced uh, first aid for it. But I haven't done one for a number of years now. And I, I've been thinking about the same thing. I'm thinking, you know, I, I've got to redo mine. I think I'm going to do mine at some point. It's just good to get the refreshers. And they changed some things too, surprisingly, with first aid. They, I mean, they changed CPR over the years. I've seen a number of changes with CPR, um, what they're recommending yeah. for it. So. Sorry, sorry to flatten the mood, boys, but, you know. No, not at all. I tell you what, it's a really valuable point. You saved his life. Thinking, yeah, exactly. Mm. And I'm sitting here thinking, God, yeah, it is a long time since I've done a first aid course. That means that in a crisis situation, I'd be having to think, now, what was I supposed to do? Instead of just automatically being able to do it. And that's a huge difference when somebody's life's involved. Mm. Or yep. pulling out the instructions in the yep. first aid kit. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Blood squirting. Now what do I do? <laughs> so overpacking. I'm sort of curious. Is anyone else finding they're, they're still overpacking? Like Shirley and Brian, when you, when you guys go off, I'm talking for a long trip, do you find you still overpack? Yeah. Really? Oh, that's probably the short gosh, answer. Oh, you should have gosh. seen that bike at the Isle of Man. It was making dents in the pavement. <laughs> <laughs> and when you saw it, all our, all our luggage was at the house we were staying in. <laughs> now, this is because you, you guys met up in the Isle of Man, and, and that's why Graham's taking pot shots at your bike. Because he, he also, I think a couple episodes ago, he was talking about the fact that you were, uh, Brian, you were rather talkative, I think. <laughs> of course. Uh, when his instructions done 275,000 Ks, then he can come and talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> so the, 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 um, the short of it is you're still overpacking. So the most common mistake, and we could call it a newbie mistake, you still find yourself doing that? If the bike's oh. not here with us when we pack... It's really hard to visualise how much space there is on the bike, uh-huh. even though you've got your pannier liners and stuff. I mean, the last couple of trips we've done, we haven't overpacked anywhere near as much as we did on the first one. But I invariably take a little bit of something oh, too much. And if God. I have the bloody tyre flies in the bottom of my pannier anymore, <laughs> there's a problem in this marriage. Simple, easy fix. You take the small pannier, I'll take the big one. And the tire flies. And the, so I'll okay. take that. Then I'll, be, I'll have it half full. <laughs> I like domestics. What we're on here? Well, the mediator's <laughs> not here today, so we should probably just move on from that. <laughs> well, I'm uh, going on a little trip to go and get something, and I'll be travelling by myself. So um, my He's going ba- to oh, get another go. bike. Wow! Nice. <laughs> what? No, sorry. I, did I say don't, nice? Sorry. Don't <laughs> um, I'm going to fly up to Queensland and, and pick up a bike and bring it back, and um, I'll pack a really small bag. But one thing that worries me, I like to be able to fix tyres, and I've got all the tyre repair stuff here, but can you take those CO2 canisters on a plane? No. 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 So I'm going to have to go and uh, buy another damn toolkit when I get up there. Why not a pump? Oh, you can take a pump, but it's so much easier. Those CO2s are great. You know, if you can just pull into a bike shop and pick up one of those cheap ones, I can take everything else I need. Uh, but that's one of my phobias is getting a flat tire and not being able to fix it on the side of the road. Mm. I carry the CO2 cartridges as well as my pump. They're sort of my backup for my pump. I've never yeah. used CO2. It's- I've only ever had a bicycle pump. Works okay. Yes, because good, good cardiovascular. <laughs> Works great if you've got an inner tube, but if you've got tubeless and the bead is broken, 
a pump, you'll sit there for the rest of your life pumping. <laughs> That's true. And That's true. Yeah, I've, I've never had tubeless. Good point, Trent. Yeah. 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 You're so, to it, right? I was about to carry the interest rates in. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the thing for Brian in that case, rather than CO2, is to carry spare inner tube. You can always stuff a tube inside. Yeah, you got to inflate it, though. Yeah, but with pump, you can do that. <laughs> with a pump. Oh, you can inflate a tube with a pump. I see. What actually, that's a really good point, Grant. I mean, it, cheapo, lightweight inner tubes. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're small. They're compact. You know, a, a good lightweight one is, you know, the size of two, two loose fists. You can always stuff it in somewhere. There's always some place you can put it. Um, but at least it will get you going no matter what. Because if you can't inflate or instantly inflate your tubeless tire, you're going nowhere. And I know all the tricks with putting straps around them. And yeah, yeah, yeah I've yeah. been there. I've done that. It doesn't always work. It's just not possible sometimes. So stick a yeah. tube in it. Yeah, I, I think I'll just pull into a bike shop and buy um, one of those small kits and well, to augment what I've already got. And uh, that'll do. It's only, yeah. it's only a quick, uh, I don't know, 3,000K ride, so it'll be right. Yeah, so you're, you're doing it as in Australia? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just okay. just flying up to Brisbane to pick up a bike and ride it back. You'll be able to get a CO2 cartridge there, no problem. That'll be easy. Yeah, yeah. I love the way Brian, when he buys a bike, he never actually says buy. I never hear you say buy. I always hear you say pick up. It's, it, does, that, does that make Shirley feel better when you say, yeah, I just got to pick a bike up? Yeah, kind of. It's meant to, but I don't know that it actually works. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like money's involved. Exactly. That's that's right, Grant. You've got it in one. Yep. Common so mistakes. Brian, common travel Brian. mistakes. Bringing all the kittens back together here. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Jim, Jim, can I just ask Brian a quick question? Sure, fire away. Brian, what bike is it? Uh, uh, it's a, it's an uh, it's an old one. It's a nineteen ninety nine Kawasaki GT Tourer. Um, I just wanted to try it out, so and it was coming up and it's cheap, and I thought, yeah, no worries. It's only got fifty six thousand k's on it, so why not? Yeah. Cool. Okay, moving rapidly on. Thank Fun. you, Brian. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> um, when I was a young bloke, I'd take. Um, these, um, as I said, I had a phobia for getting flat tyres, and I've had quite a few. So I decided to buy myself some um, um, tyre tire, um, irons. And I bought ones that you could fix a truck tyre with. And I carried them forever, and I never got a flat tyre. So, and I've still got them. I saw them up in the shed today. One's a green one, one's a black one. They're about three foot long each and um, twice as wide. I, I, I don't think you could fix a motorbike tyre with them. But as a young bloke, I thought they were the bee's knees. The bigger, the better. Um, definitely not on a motorbike. What's the paranoia with the flat tire thing? Did you have some sort of traumatizing event when you were a kid with a flat tire? <laughs> <laughs> I used to ride in the bush a lot, you know, and go like ride through Ligman and stuff, chasing wild pigs and stuff like that on motorbikes. You get flat tires all the time. You make yourself sound like you're from Deliverance. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's just one of those things, Jim. I just, um, uh, you know, I've, I've always been able to try and fix things on the road myself, and tyres seem to be the most logical thing that go wrong all the time. And every time you go for a ride with your mates, 
no one's got anything to fix a flat tire except me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think if I ever ride well. with you, Brian, I'll certainly be thinking to myself, well, no need to take punch repair out kits or tires. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's got them. <laughs> um, Sam, under, like if we're looking at this as a list, next to overpacking, what, what do you think is the, the most com- one of the most common mistakes? Going too fast and too long. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we're all setting off on journeys, we're so enthusiastic. Um, but until pe- people become more experienced as um, overlanders, um, then they don't take the time out to chill and relax into the journey. And they miss too much. And I always think that the adventure starts as soon as you leave home. Um, you know, they're just going to happen straight away. As soon as you get down the end of your road and that's it, the adventure's rolling. And people tend to get so excited about being on the trip that they blast the first days and don't see or do anything. All they do is get tired. And if they can, if, if people continue with um, doing that, then they start to put themselves at, at risk of, of um, making errors. Um, if you don't allow yourself to, the time to stop and to relax and value the place, um, then the trip can turn into a, a battle, can't it? Um, those shorter days and holidays are so important. Unless, of course, you're limited for time and then you want to get to a particular area where you want to spend the bulk of your time. Um, but I, I think that traveling too fast and too long also doesn't allow you to get tuned into your own senses because as soon as we break free from everyday life um our sen- we're demanding different things from our senses and we need to allow them time to wake up um and by really pushing and burning and going too fast and too long days and so on we're not giving them a chance um, and that means you're just not tuned into moments when things can go wrong quite so well um you're dulling your ability to think out um, uh, think yourself out of situations where things might be going wrong. You know, for example, that strange vibration um, or a comment that somebody has made. Um, is that is that true? Is that likely to be dangerous or is that an opportunity? Is um, this something you've learned from experience, Sam? Did you sort of go through a period where you went, hang on a second, I'm, I'm doing this? Oh, do you know, I still do it. A couple of years back, I was in, um, when I was in the States, um, I was given... Um, loads of tips by a friend and he linked me up with a bunch of people um and he even worked out a route plan for me and normally i i just don't do that but it felt like the right thing at the time to to let this happen um but it turned out he must he must travel a lot faster than i do and i've really battled to keep up with the schedule that he'd given me but because i'd never done this before i thought yeah come on you know just do it see see it's it's a new adventure and you slant to the adventure have a go but i got to the stage where i was tired and where um, I rode through a day of just hissing rain to try and keep to this schedule. And all the time I'm riding, I'm thinking, this is stupid. If you, were, if you weren't trying to keep to this schedule, if you weren't trying to let this trend down, um, you would have pulled over and found somewhere to hold up until this rainstorm has just worn itself out. And by the time I made it to the friends that I was about to make, I was so tired. And that night when I was going to sleep, I was thinking, Sam, that was really stupid. It was almost like you put blinkers on your on your head on either on either side of your your eyes, and you didn't see anything to the side, and you just were so tuned into getting there and keeping up with the schedule, you you just opened yourself up to risk. You know, I, I saw a comment that somebody made um, uh, on one of the other things we were talking about on another episode, 
And it's funny how people can have different ideas. His his comment was on um, uh, stopping to see, you know, experience culture and see landscape and all that. And, and he said, ah, to heck with all that. He said, um, I'm not into that. I'm just into the ride. That's what he's into, <laughs> putting, you know, riding distance. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, so everybody, I, I think what really, like what it comes down to is, you know, what you're saying, really in what you're saying is knowing what you want. And I kind of think, Sam, you've said that before about uh, about travel, understanding what you want in advance before you leave out of the trip. Why are you doing it? Oh, absolutely. I've got a friend who, um, he's a world record breaker. And um, I said to him, but you don't see anything when you're traveling that fast. And he said, yeah, but Sam, that's not why I do it. Why I do it is because I love riding my bike. Um, and I just want to get on the road and I want to ride every day for as long as I can. And that's where I get my bus from. And I thought, yeah, okay, it's not me, but I understand it. Are you talking about Nick Sanders? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> I knew that yeah. too. <laughs> one, of his yeah, books, <laughs> one of his books, I think it's called The Incredible Ride, where he goes from Alaska to his wire in, I don't know what it was, 21 days or something. And because... Um, I often muse about what it must be like to be Nick Sanders and ride like, ride like Nick Sanders. You know, I did an iron butt thing once, 1,200 miles in 24 hours. I think he does that every single day. And uh, so anyway, I bought his book. And it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's, a little, it's, it's kind of insightful to a degree. I mean, the guy is so hardcore. Yet the, the bits that I remember in the book are the time he stops in a restaurant and has a conversation with a waitress because that's his interaction. And that might happen once every 15,000 miles. So the, the only real substance within the book is the interaction because everything else is just head down and riding and there's a limit to what you can write about that. So whether he would admit it or not is the interaction, which were the things that were the memories. <laughs> yeah, at the same time, when you're actually doing the ride, you are enjoying the ride. I mean, we all ride motorcycles because we love the ride. But for some of us, that's all there is, is just ride, 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 ride. And that's that's fine if that's your bag. Like I know some guys whose favorite thing is to ride their bike to the cafe and ride it home again. And that's it. That's their day's ride. And they love it. So it, it depends what you want. And I think when you're planning a trip, the biggest thing that we see all the time is that some people... The guy wants to do the big ride and he just wants to ride and ride and far, see how far he can go and see how much mileage he can put on. But he's neglected to realize that the wife maybe has a different idea or sometimes it's the other way around. I know some women who are just into the ride and he's more interested in seeing what there is on the way. So for a couple, it's deciding and agreeing and understanding exactly what the other person with them actually wants and what they think around the world, for instance, ride is. I mean, I've had couples that say, I want to do around the world ride. She said, I want to do around the world ride. They both have completely different ideas of what around the world ride is, what they're going to do, how long it's going to take and how much riding they're going to do and what they're going to see. Totally different. So you've really got to be careful and get that together. Yeah, well, that brings up another one to mind that um, the thing is, if you're if you're uh, looking to partner with somebody, so if you're, you know, you see somebody advertise, I'm doing this trip and I'm looking for somebody to ride with, that's that's another time where you want to make sure your your goals are aligned. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we see so that in different aspects to a compatible oh. partner. <laughs> oh. That is so hard. I've only ever actually ridden with somebody for a, a length of time, like uh, it was... I forget, three weeks or something like that in South America. 
just about drove me insane. The only reason I was riding with him was because he was the only other guy there was, and I was on my own. Um, but yeah, we were absolutely not compatible riding companions. Once we were off the bike and out for dinner and stuff, we were great. We had a good time. But the riding itself, no, not the same at all. So you got to be careful about that. That, sure. That's a big it's, conversation. It's one of the things that's, that's fantastic about um, motorcycling, though, isn't it? Because it doesn't matter who we are. If we're interested in motorcycling, there's there's an angle for all of us, isn't there? Sure. Uh, there's a slot for us. There's a type of bike, a type of riding. Yeah. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons why it is such an awesome way of, of strangers getting together and becoming new friends. We don't have to like exactly how the other person does it, do we? Um, but it's the fact that we've got this fantastic thing in common. It's just wonderful, hey? Common interest. Yeah. I mean, swingers say the same thing. Surely, um, <laughs> what, what do you have on, on your list for, for common mistakes? I just want to well, know what sure. you had this afternoon, this evening for dinner. I'm not sure, Jim, but you're, well, <laughs> firing today. Um, I think the, um, the biggest newbie mistake, other than overpacking, of course, is over planning, overthinking the trip. You know, you, you knock off work and you think, right, I've got a month or six months or 12 months or six weeks. So you've just got to get there and get moving and think like you're still working. And it's a completely different mindset. And um, I think once once you get into the groove of it, it's okay. But at first, it's a re- it needs to be a real conscious effort, I think, to, to, um, to slow down enjoy what you're doing and not get overwhelmed with um, the, the trip that you're doing. Just take it, I guess, a bit take it as it comes. Let it be a little bit organic, if that's not too corny a word. Uh, when we did our first trip, after about the first three weeks, I thought, my God, I'm never going to make it back to Australia because it's just, it's such a long way away. And we sat down and talked it through and worked out, I really shouldn't be thinking about April next year I should be thinking about Friday and where we might be on Friday and, you know, what we want to see tomorrow or, you know, what sort of place we're going to stay in and just start taking it in little bits rather than trying to think, oh, my God, we've got a ride from London to Australia. Are we ever going to get there? Graham? Uh, yeah, well, I was took this subject from a slightly different angle. So I went right, right back to my first ever motorbike. I mean, I had motorbikes before I was old enough to have a license and I'd ride them on the beach and stuff. But when I was 17, I got my first road legal motorcycle, Honda SS50. And uh, so there came a point where I was going to take it out, live with my parents still, take it out for the first time. And this road, I'd been riding my bicycle along since I was nine years old. I knew every pothole, every manhole cover, every aspect of the road. And so I went out of the driveway and I went round the foot, it was in, out in the country, went round this, my first corner and then opened it up a little bit through the gears. Instantly, I'm going faster than I had on my bicycle. I'm up to probably 30 miles an hour now. And then came the second corner, the right-hand corner, and I forgot to lean. <laughs> and I went straight into the ditch. <laughs> <laughs> Bikes in the ditch. I'm over the handlebars. <laughs> and that was. A, I thought, oh, these are really different to bicycles. These motorbikes. <laughs> what is it with young so, males? When I when I got my first bike, I went to the dealership. 
I bought the bike and then I thought, okay, I need a license now. <laughs> so from there, I went over to the license bureau, which wasn't far away. And I wrote my license and I came back to pick up my bike. I got on my bike, a Honda Shadow 550, my first bike and, and rode it out of the parking lot like that. I have no idea how I made it. All I can remember is incredible stress and sweating as I'm going out of the parking lot. But I mean, what makes us think that we can do these things? It's just, it's, it's just amazing that you make it this far in life, isn't it? It is absolutely chance. <laughs> okay. My first bike was a 250 Ducati Scrambler. And the biggest problem with that was actually starting it. It was a fixed ignition advance, so it spent more time spitting me over the handlebars than it did running. So that was, um, that was, that was hard work, and it really, I'm sure I've damaged my legs ever since. It's, uh, but that was a good experience, and learning in front of all the people in the neighborhood, everybody was watching. We were living in an apartment block, and everybody could watch me start this bike, and go, kick, 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 swear, swear, kick, kick, spit. And there goes Grant flying again. <laughs> I'm 16. I know nothing. I don't even know how to ride yet. I haven't figured out the the starting part, much less the riding part. <laughs> it's probably a good thing it didn't start up. I mean, it slows you down a bit. Oh, it certainly did that. I swear, it took me all day the first time to get it going. And that was the uh, the way it went from then on. One of the methods, I remember one day I had to get to school, and the only way to get it started was to push it up this hill. And I could literally couldn't push it up this hill. So my mother is out there helping me push the bike up the hill so I can bump start it down the hill. <laughs> I was going to school whether I wanted to or not. <laughs> I remember on, on the same bike, um, I, I didn't work very far away. I worked in the village. And uh, so now I got to ride the motorbike to work instead of, uh, instead of cycling. And I used to leave early in the morning and I'm riding along my little 50cc bike. I thought, Man, it sounds a lot louder this morning. And I forgot to put my helmet on. (laughs) (laughs) Newbie mistakes. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, always remember to put your helmet on. Uh, I was listening to us all talk about all these things that we did as kids and how we got away with it. There's a a quote that I'm going to give to you now called, and this is from, I won't take credit for it, it's from Helen Keller. Security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. And I reckon that's true. It's an adventure or nothing. You sit in your chair and do nothing or you get out and get into it. Yeah, too well. Mm. How about this one? Not looking after physical self. And what I mean is not taking out the time to eat and drink regularly, um, not taking the time out to keep clean. Um, so in other words, people um, just don't learn the value of washing water and tea. Um, you know, what sort of people do you ride with that don't I'm keep just, clean? I'm just thinking <laughs> of, of how Sam learned this because this is obviously something he learned on his own, right? So... <laughs> The hard way. Who was it that pointed out to you, Sam, you reek? <laughs> well, no, no, no I, I didn't need anybody to point it out to me. It was when the armpits on my T-shirt started rotting that I thought, oh, I have to pay attention to this. <laughs> you know, I traveled with, um, for a couple of days with a guy in Africa, and he was so suspicious of local food that he survived on bread and peanut butter. 
he hadn't even, you know, he wasn't e- even eating fruit. You know, all these mang- mangoes and guavas and bananas and pineapples and all of the rest of it. He didn't want to eat any of that stuff. He'd been literally surviving on bread, peanut butter and adrenaline. And of course, adrenaline runs out after a while. So every time he was just grumpy about everything. He was too tired to do more than what had to be done. He was traveling with no joy. And bumps in the road were always problems. And that's why I only traveled with him for two days, because I thought, I can't be around this guy. Um, But if he'd been eating properly, um, he's expecting his body to do all sorts of things um, that you wouldn't normally expect it to do. A a trip makes your body do stuff constantly, all day, every day. Um, And you're on intake overload, aren't you? Challenges are coming at you from all over the place. And unless your body is well being, being looked well after, you just don't cope well with this stuff and I, I see it happen a lot do you think um living on mars bars and um pringles chips fits into your keeping yourself healthy on the road no, I, I think that's perfect perfect you're getting all the food groups there oh good okay so yeah good okay because that's what i lived on in central asia so it's okay i, I survived <laughs> you know you probably, I yeah, I mean, yeah, you had all the carbohydrates in there, you had the protein in there. Yeah. Do you guys have a hierarchy when you think of common mistakes? Like, do you sort of go through them and say, I mean, everybody said packing. Are there other ones that pop into your minds here, or the ones that sort of on the tip of your tongue? Yeah, the one that got, comes to my mind always, there's actually two. One of them is over preparing before you even mm-hmm. leave, spending. I know people that, I know one guy who spent three years and a ton of money preparing his, his bike with an R80GS and he rebuilt it from the ground up and it was better than factory. Three years of planning and preparation and then he didn't go. Spent all his money. Mm. And, and, that's, and, and that's sort of along with what Shirley said with, um, like, although that's, you know, spending your budget before you leave, but what Shirley was saying about um, doing too much preparation, you know, putting too yep. much into the, the pre-trip. Too much planning, too much planning, too much preparation, too much time on the bike. It's all fixable. There, People are out there. I always tell people, one of my favorite phrases, I guess, is you're on a road, and at the, each end of the road, there are people. That's why the road exists. Otherwise, you wouldn't be on a road because it wouldn't be there. There's no people at the end. And guess what? They're just like you. They need food. They need cereal in the morning. They need something for dinner. They need toothpaste. You can buy it all anywhere. There's no differences. It might be not the brand you want, but there'll be something that will do the job just fine. And living with the local stuff and eating and living the way they do is good for you. It's a good thing. So don't worry about it. You don't need all that much preparation. You can always stop, go to a hotel and refigure and ship stuff in, whatever. It's all doable. You don't need to prepare your brains out. How do you guys feel about gear as far as buying gear? Like, do you think it's a mistake to leave with gear that's too cheap? You know, if you to go really yeah. cheap on your, your tent and just different things, just just gear in general. It's very easy to fall into the trap when you're in the research stages of thinking that you need all this stuff. I mean, the companies who, who manufacture it are in the business of making you think you need it. I, I think good camping equipment, if we discussed before, does pay you back again, again, again to have a comfortable night's sleep. But a lot of the stuff you have to remember, I always try to remember people traveled years ago before there were motorcycles, before there was Cinchulate, before there was GPS and phones. And it's possible. 
and it might even make it more enjoyable. It's it's very easy to fall into the trap of needing all that stuff, and it's also very easy to travel without it. Yeah. And if you, you get to the point where you, and if you get right. to the point where you really need it, buy it. Yep. They yeah, sell th- exactly. they sell things outside of your uh, home country. Yeah, that's my point. Um, and I see people being spending getting absolutely anal about which is the best tent. Spend weeks discussing it on the forums and trying to figure out what's the best tent. Well, is, does it does it fit? Is it big enough? Is it good? Is the price reasonable? Fine. It doesn't have to be the perfect tent because it's probably not going to finish the trip anyway. So you're probably going to want to replace it somewhere on the line. So don't sweat it. But always buy good stuff. Don't buy cheap because. But you also at the same time you don't need to buy the very best. The very yeah, best right, is right. overkill. The cheap stuff is just not going to do a good job because it's cheap junk. Something in between. I always kind of go 60, 70% kind of thing is my thinking. And that's kind of a sweet spot. Decent price, good quality, it'll do the job. Yeah, I agree with that, Grant. I think um, you, uh, get stuff that works for you. doesn't matter yep. what the price is. If it works for yep. you, that's fine. And you see people, oh, I've got the latest and greatest. And they, they spend thousands and thousands of dollars on the best um, riding gear and all that sort of stuff. Well, if it keeps you warm and dry, what else do you need? Good yeah. boots and good gloves. I don't reckon yes. you should scrimp too much on boots or gloves, but, um, you know, waterproof gear, someone said to me once, you know, the best they, they'd ever ridden with were the things that ladies wore playing golf. <laughs> uh, they're, called, they're called rain boot or something, and they were just over jackets and over pants. I now wear over pants that are made for hikers that I bought in a camping store in America, and they're awesome. And they were so much cheaper than buying something that had motorcycle written on the label. Oh, yes. It really comes down to a personal thing, I think, doesn't it, for that? Because some people will buy the cheap rain suit that goes over their riding jacket, Graham, and other people will want to buy the latest, greatest (laughs) Gore-Tex jacket. And surely, Graham, don't you let him him have a go at you about that. I wear my waterproofs over my jacket too. (laughs) Well, the other thing is as well, um, once you start getting good quality stuff, you start getting neurotic about it. You know, I've got to a stage now where I've got some nice bikes Mm. and a nice car. When I had a a shitty old motorbike and uh, and an old beaten up van, I never worried about where I parked it or anything. And now all of a sudden you have to start thinking, oh, good girl, I've got a story for you. Went to a little restaurant last night because we couldn't bother to cook in a little town in Bulgaria. Went to the restaurant. On the bit where you push your hand to open the door, there was Horizons Unlimited sticker. (laughs) (laughs) How classic is that? Um, But anyway, so the point is, yeah, I was was toying with putting one of mine underneath it and I thought, no. (laughs) But but the point is, though we sat in the restaurant, and I had to sit so I could see where my car was parked because I was worried about the bloody Mustang. So the less stuff you've got that's worth, you know, if you've got stuff that's not worth so much, if you've got a, a crappy little tent with just a, a, some dodgy camping equipment in it, you don't mind going off for a hike and leaving it out of sight because it's not that valuable to you. So the more money you spend on gear, the more protective you come become over it and probably the less adventurous you're going to be because of it. Yep, Friend, friends of mine traveling in South America, um, they had really top quality tents and this happened to three um, sets of friends and they all had the same make tent and um, 
over a period of a year, they came back to the camping sites and found that their tents had gone. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, no, I think that's a very good point of getting paranoid with yourself. And I think and, yeah, we can probably all relate to that with anything you have. Um, I'm sure you wouldn't have to worry about your pickup truck, Graham, if um, you had been driving that. You just park it and, and walk away from it. Isn't it true that nobody wanted that? The pickup? Did you try to sell it and it just didn't happen? Yeah. Uh, we, we do. This has got quite a sort of specific <laughs> audience of, of customers. So, I got, you know, someone bought it in the end, some cow farmer. So, uh, yeah, got rid of it in the end, but it, it's, it's a very different environment here, and uh, and you know the roads are smaller and the parking spaces are smaller, and trying to park that thing could be a pain in the ass sometimes. Mm. What about um, what about cash and credit cards? Some some common mistakes there. We've sort of talked about pre-trip planning, and 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 now I'm thinking like you know you hit the road, the wheels are turning. What are the sort of things we're running into there? And I think cash and credit cards. That's got to be you know sort of a top of the list. Not enough cash and one credit card. That's a big mistake. You mean not enough cash, like in your reserves, or not enough in your pocket? Both. Yeah. Both. Because you need to have enough cash in your pocket to take care of whatever you need at the side of the road. Because the average person in the third world country doesn't take credit cards. If you want to get a lift into town, you need cash. Um, and only having one credit card, when your credit card doesn't work in the local bank machine, and trust me, that happens a lot, um, you need to have alternate credit cards. Two or three credit cards even is a good idea. Yeah. I think a top tip is to try and um, find a way to travel with at least two weeks worth of funds um, yeah. in cash. And, and that way, because from my understanding, I mean, Graham's much more up to speed on this. Um, but it can take weeks, can't it, Graham? Yeah, I just got it through last week, the last credit card that was replaced. Wow. Um, and I've got a gold one. I've got a gold credit card. Wow. <laughs> you lied to them. <laughs> yes, I believed it. <laughs> yes, I'm a successful author. I think I'll have a gold one, please. <laughs> the Baron of Bulgaria. <laughs> oh, another thing, um, things to take is when I travel on my own, I'm pretty good at having carrying enough water with me. I've generally got quite a bit of water. But when, as soon as I pair up with someone, um, firstly, you're a bit more distracted because you've got that company. And secondly, there's an element of assumption that the other person has done that and found myself a few times in predicaments where neither one of us have got any water. And you can survive for quite a long time with pretty without anything, but you do need water. So it can be a pain carrying water because it's heavy and it's hard to find a location to put it on your bike. But, you know, while you're on that road that Grant tells you about, which people are going from A to B on, there might be quite a long gap before someone is going from A to B. And if you've just got your water, you're going to be okay. Yeah, especially if you're broken down at the side of the road. Yes. <laughs> yes. Water, water and a bit of shade. So you always carry your water bottles and your umbrella. Yep, that's Ted Simon's recommendation. Always have an umbrella. Yep, we take He's not an wrong. umbrella. Yeah. We actually have two, one each, so there's no fighting. Going back to cash, though, Jim, one thing that I think people need to think about is where to put the cash. Because mm. if you're taking a couple of hundred US dollars for emergencies, say, you're not going to have that in your wallet that you're going to open when you get out your 15 rubles to pay for some 
fuel uh, and you're not going to have it in the place that some dodgy person who goes straight for the tank bag thinks, aha, I've found this person's $200 cash. No, quite right. Who, yeah, who just, who just rattled somewhere. the change there? That was beautiful. That was a dog. Yeah. Was this a dog? <laughs> that was just fantastic. We get sound effects in here and everything. Yeah, well, man, Jim was great with his sound effects on that. It's like he's got, it's like got a load of jingles in front of him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, t- the trick is to spread it around, isn't it? Where yep. do you hide the money? That's quite seriously, we can't tell you where we hide it because then if someone sees us on the road, they'll go, I know where they're keeping their cash. Surely, it's <laughs> just us sitting around. Relax. <laughs> I rest my case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jim, who used to put this show together, has been replaced by I'm out there tonight, Jim. So... <laughs> I don't know who you are. You could be the man who's going to rifle through our luggage. I don't know who I am. It's just it, it's just a crapshoot what you get. <laughs> so it was a crap show, so I thought it was going all right. Oh, when you think about it, there are plenty of places to hide cash, and the, the valuable thing that you should always have a few spare ones is little plastic Ziploc bags that you can put your cash in a little Ziploc bag. So if it happens to be somewhere that might get wet, you're not going to get it ruined. So those little Ziploc bags, you can tuck them into places and, split. Um, as Sam said, split your cash up. Don't leave it all in, in one place. So if, if you lose something or get robbed, you're not going to lose the lot. So you don't want to give away your hiding spots. That's fine. I think I can get some hiding spots. So, Graham, where do you hide your money? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, I had some really good ideas when I uh, was preparing the bike for the first trip, and um, and and it would take quite a long while to to get to it. And the only thing I will tell you is I had to take the tank off um, oh. to uh, to to get to one of the places where I stashed my money. I had to take the tank off, take the spark plug out. <laughs> Well, there's always lots of places if you use your imagination and every bike is so different there's lots of bikes have places that are really easy and some bikes are really tough Um, underneath the tank is obviously a good place but the main one not to use is anywhere near the battery Mm -hmm. i know a couple who were in africa and they were down to their last money and they said right we'll get the money out we'll spare money and they pulled up the uh, battery, and underneath the battery was where they put their money, and it was just black powder. It was all that was left. And it was in a Ziploc bag, but all they had was $1,000 worth of powder. You'd be better off Definitely to do something that. like, I know some of the mufflers you can pull apart, and you could take the packing out, and you could put your money in the, in the muffler <laughs> itself. It helps silence, and it keeps it completely yeah. out of sight. Yeah, that, that would work really well. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to give that tip since nobody else is giving any. <laughs> okay, next time I see your bike, I know where the money is. <laughs> I mean, Grant, Grant, Grant made the point, though, didn't he? There are so many places on a motorcycle and your gear. And if you use your, your common sense and your imagination, you can find lots of different spots um, to tuck things away. Um, and it's absolutely right, Shirley. Spread it out. Yep. Somebody's going to make something. A good spot is in your boots, mm-hmm. especially if you've got an insole of some kind. Put it underneath the insole. Who's going to look in your stinky boots, right? Mm. Yep. I That's always a good place. Yep. 
a little bit of money there, a little bit of money in your pants, and a little bit of money in something else, and in the lining of your helmet. There's lots of places you can stash money. Can I move us back to um, planning? Please. Just for, um, One of the things that um, always pops into my mind, and I think um, Shirley touched on this earlier on, um, is over-planning. Um, I met a guy um, not so long ago, and he'd prepped for two years for his trip. He'd been avidly following the CIA and the Foreign Office reports, and he learned so much about the things that could go wrong. He was absolutely paranoid by the time he started his journey, and I'm actually impressed that he even started his journey. Um, he was incredibly wary of everyone and everything they did, so much so that he only interacted when he had to. Borders, police, hotels, and so on. And that wore him down. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, the fear that he'd built up within himself before he even left, um, it, it just shot the whole idea of trust until prove untrustworthy um, out of the window. And his trip was just fear every day. And no fun. And I just thought, wow, I'm so glad that I'm too stupid to read CIA and Foreign Office reports. I think if you look at your government's Foreign Office website, I mean, they are so careful because obviously they don't want anybody to to say to them, hang on a minute, you told me that was safe. So they pretty much say everywhere is dangerous. I mean, you'd be a fool to go to your kitchen without company if you read their website. Ours <laughs> <laughs> yep. um, used to say going to Paris was too dangerous because there were pickpockets. Well, wow. <laughs> there'd be no pickpockets in Australia, so you'd be yeah. safe here. Yeah. yeah Sorry, go on, go on. I was just going to say that I think you always have to remember that they're catering in those warnings to the lowest common denominator travel, which is your weekend tourist or week-long tourist on a package deal. And they are completely clueless, getting dropped in out of the sky and have no idea and do all kinds of stupid things and spend most of their time getting drunk and carousing around and having a wild and crazy time. Yes, those people get into trouble. And those are the ones that you hear about. So if you're an overland traveler, in theory, you're meeting people along the way, you're understanding your your um, your peripheral vision and your senses of what's going on around you is improving, and you're into the swing and the feel of the way the place is. So that you are, it's, it's like in your own hometown, you know there are certain areas that if you go there, you might want to go there for whatever reason, but you pay a little more attention in that area than you would in another area in town. When you're on the road, you get used to that. What is the buzz of the area? What is the feel of the area? What's going on? What are people looking like? And you integrate that into your the way you act, the way you think, and the way you operate in those areas so that it becomes a natural part of you. And it's okay. It's not a big stress. It's just pay a little more attention than I might somewhere else. And no isn't, it, isn't it absolutely wonderful when you realize that you're doing this on autopilot? Yeah. All of a sudden, you know that you are free because your senses are so tuned into everything and you're soaking up all of those little details without even thinking about it. Yeah, yep. lovely. And the other thing you should keep in mind is nothing good happens at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> 
That's very true. Well, yes. Except you, Maggie Graham. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, Maggie Graham. So that's when the bar comes. The that's bar not good, is it? Bad <laughs> idea. Yeah, but that's, that's right, Sam. You know, you, you um, when things become autopilot, I, I, some guys still ridicule me every time we I go for a ride with mates and we're, we're staying somewhere overnight. I still put my disc lock on. I still put my bike cover on. I cover my bike and all that sort of stuff. And they just leave their bikes laying around like they normally do. But I've been doing that for years and years and years. It's just routine for me now. So I, I can park and bike anywhere, and it's, it's just the same thing all the time. Yeah, yeah. It, it becomes those sort of things become basic autopilot, don't they? Yeah, they do. We're, we're talking about budget. Um, that, that was one of the things we're, we're into here. Um, what about losing track of budget? What, what about not paying attention to what your budget is? Because Grant, you said about you know you need to make sure you have enough money. You know you you take off for your trip. You you've you figured out how much money you're going to need, and then maybe you get a little crazy. You go to some bars like we're talking about here. Um, those sorts of things. Is that a common mistake that you guys think that you have to avoid? You have to be careful of. I've never yeah, lost track of my budget. It's no, always yeah. it's always written down, and that's why I get so much pleasure at getting to my destination, which was you know quite a challenging thing on the money that I had. So, and you can uh, cause a great deal of frustration if you've been ripped off, paid too much, or conned, or had a breakdown or something. All of a sudden, your budget is blown, but then you have to take it really easy for a few days, eat carefully, camp, get back on budget. Uh, that for me is a wonderfully rewarding and challenging part of the trip. So I, whenever whenever I travel, I'm always aware of the budget. You listening, Shirley? <laughs> oh, sorry, what was what was going to say? <laughs> yes, well, for when we're traveling, Susan is a chartered accountant, so she's in charge of the budget. So I don't pay any attention to it at all. <laughs> and you should always have a stash of emergency money. Yes. Always, be, always, it, always. be it to visit that site that you really want to see or have that really splash-up meal that you really want or to pay for, a, I don't know, something silly for the bike like a tyre if you really need it. <laughs> <laughs> Visiting a site, though, is not an emergency. <laughs> no, you know, when right. we're, Graham made the point earlier on that, you know, when we, we live in a world where the manufacturer's jobs are to tell us that we need something. And one of the things that I really like after I've been out on the road for a month or so is I stop um, thinking, um, oh, that looks nice. That'd be interesting. Oh, I ought to have that. Um, and I go to a stage where I'm thinking, do I really need that? Into the next stage, which is just automatically, that'll be good or that's no point. Boom, finish. And it's so much easier to keep control of the budget when you get into that stage. Well, for me, it is. I find you get into the point where it's either food and then you, you probably need it and or it's not food, in which case you definitely don't need it because you got all you need. I mean, yeah. There's no room for anything. I'm not lacking for anything. My shirt is still intact and I'm still wearing it and I'm not indecent, so I don't need anything. How, how about going along with this? We're talking about budget, you know, keeping track of your budget. What, what about the budget making you you paranoid? Because, um, Graham, you were saying that you, know, you really, really watched that and it was a big part of what you were doing. And also, you mentioned about, you know, if you got ripped off or something, you'd have to sort of lay low or, or watch your budget for the next couple of days. What about letting mistakes um, ruin your trip? You know, you get ripped off or I think, Sam, you had a camera stolen that was pretty devastating for you. Um, what about those sorts of things? That's something that you can, you know, um, you can sort of take to heart where you should probably shouldn't. 
Well, maybe not ruin your trip. Might ruin your day. Maybe ruin a few days. But I don't think it's going to ruin a trip. I was pissed off for two days for about losing that camera, and I mean really pissed off. It wasn't so much the camera; it was the fact that it was day of film, and there were thirty-five shots on that film of my bike in unusual places. You know, upside in a ditch couple of Indian policemen sitting on it, all of those sorts of things. And I was really racked off at losing that film. Um, By the time I'd gone through the the next two days um, with, as far as the camera was concerned, I thought, oh, well, somebody's going to feed his family with that. Serves me right for being lazy with it. Um, Right, what's next? Mm. You can't afford to think any way other than that. I mean, you'll end up trashing your trip. Things will go missing sooner or later, particularly if you're careless. And I was. Um, Things break. Are you going to get really upset about it? Well, why? It's going to stop. It's going to get in the way of your adventure. You just become that much more matter of fact and philosophical about it. With cameras, download your photos. Now, yeah. Or, well, in the film days, you know, that it was a bit more problematic, of course, but just so you don't, you know, if someone knocks off your camera, they're not knocking off your whole holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, your, that's, that's the right attitude, Sam. I left a, um, a, a leather man at a service station in India somewhere. I'd been doing some running repairs, and a guy had let me use his little workshop. And um, we rode for about 100 kilometres, which is a long way in India. And I realised I'd left my leather man there. And you, you know, you get a little bit jacked off about that for a while. But you think about it this guy's got a really nice tool in his garage. And when you can, you just go and buy another one. That's okay. Let's just put it down to experience. And that's what it is. It's an experience. It's an experience and it also makes you realise how lucky you are to come from the country where you do and to have the income possibilities that you do in comparison to the places where you're travelling. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. I want to throw out another newbie mistake that I made that I always remember. uh, It's getting angry. I was in a border situation and I think it was wasn't Tanzania because Tanzania was a dawdle but it was in that part of the world um, went into the border and they gave me a piece of paper and all these stamps had to be going on and there was things coming from several directions and at the end of it the guy said where's this, this piece of paper so you can leave and I said I don't have it the last guy took it so no 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 you must have this piece of paper you must have this piece of paper and I got pissed off I was absolutely convinced that the last guy had taken it so I kind of ranted and raved a little bit and drove down the road. He said, okay, just, just, go, just go, just go, you know, crazy, great, crazy white man, just go. Um, got to the hotel that night, pulled out my wallet, and there it was. Mm. <laughs> right in my wallet. You know how bad I felt? I was a, a complete idiot, stupid, arrogant, got angry, and I shouldn't have. I should have just stopped and slowed down, said, well, let me just check. And I didn't. Um, generally, I'm pretty good at borders, but this one time, I don't know, it was really hot and I was tired and frustrated and it had taken quite a lot longer than I'd expected. Um, yeah, it definitely wasn't Tanzania because Tanzania was about 10 minutes and this border was like three hours. Um, and, and it was just, you can't get angry. It's just not going to do you any good. All it's going to do is ruin your day, ruin their day, and you get nowhere. The angrier you get, the farther behind you get and the more they're likely to say, well, you're just an asshole and I'm not going to give you what you want. So, so actually, it's a, back brilliant, off. But 
brilliant bit of advice. Easier said than done, I think. Grant. Oh God, yes. Oh yes. But oh yes. I, I remember I'm having a conversation. Tempered, but sometimes, <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> I remember having a conversation with someone at the show, and he was telling me about a border crossing, and he was telling me, he said, and I said to him, "No, you are not looking in my panniers." And I thought, you bloody idiot, you know, and where did that get you? And you've yeah. got to be cooperative. You've got to be submissive. It's, uh, and it's so important to remember that you know, because you'll power. never win. You never win with authority. It doesn't matter if you're in your own country and you've been pulled out by the police. The only way to win with authority is to be humble and subservient. Calm and Always. respectful. Calm Always and respectful. Smile. I like that much better than subservient. <laughs> <laughs> Always smile at the man with the AK-47 at the border. Oh, always, always smile at the man who has the stamp that is going to get you into the country. Yeah. <laughs> Shirley, I've got exactly to tell you right. a story about that. And Birgit won't mind me saying this. We were going from Mozambique into Zimbabwe um, and at the border. Um, and Birgit's uh, you know, an, a newbie motorcycle overlander. We've only been on the road for about four months by this time. Um, and I've been dealing with the border crossings because I've been through Africa before, et cetera, et cetera. And she was looking after the bikes. But this time she came into the office with me, got a start. Um, and she was horrified. What do you mean you want our credit cards and you're going to take them out of the back? I, you, you, you could be doing anything with them out there. <laughs> and that was it. I tell you what, we, we nearly got thrown out of Zimbabwe before we could even allow it. The policeman said, um, um, what do you think? They just drag anybody off the streets and put them in this wonderful smart uniform and give them razor blades to shave with? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Forget. Right. Yes. What about, um, what about paperwork? Common mistakes. Not being prepared. Not having your paperwork ready. It's the biggest one. And not having our photocopies. Yeah, photocopies. <laughs> oh, that, that, and that's what, just before we get into that, that's what I was going to say about, surely uh, you'd said something about photographs. I was going to say, backing everything up. I mean, you know, Sam's issue there with the camera, and that was different because it was film back in those days. Sorry, Sam, I don't mean to date you. But uh, <laughs> but nowadays, yeah, everything yeah. being... I'm collecting my pension next year. <laughs> everything, everything being digital, it's easy to back things up. We've talked about this before. Backing things up online, that goes for your paperwork and everything to make sure you've got, um, you know, copies at various places. And we've been through this. We've talked, I know, about the different ways that you can back things up. That's so important to back everything up. It's just common sense. And with the, the facilities, there are around in these days, Jim, um, to, to back stuff up and to copy and so on. It's, it's, it's just daft not to. And you know, I'm about to head to the States. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to get all of my credit cards out and my driving license and my medical certificate and all of those sorts of things, put them on my scanner, I'm going to scan. I'll leave a copy here and I'll take a copy with me. I mean, if something goes wrong and you'll just be able to pull this out and say, right, here we are. These are all the numbers. These are all the dates, et cetera, et cetera. And you've got the emergency phone numbers. Well, how daft are you if you don't do something like that? It's simple. Yeah, don't you know just make what we a paper did, uh, photocopy. Put it online too. Yep. Yeah. What we did Email. the other month when we were in India, because I was traveling with my girlfriend, is we took a second to photograph each other's passports and Indian visas. It, took seconds to do. So now if we lose a phone and passports, we've both got each other's details on our phones. That was a oh, very simple, smart. quick thing to do. Yep. Yeah, Ooh, good idea. Absolutely. 
it, it goes along with you know simple things like um, when you're traveling with somebody else, who carries the spare keys? Oh, you carry each other's spare keys. Yeah, I know we made that mistake. Mm, another good <laughs> we point. We learned that one the hard way. And also with paperwork, checking your paperwork when you get it back. Uh, we have a piece coming up. Um, I guess it'll be out by the time we get this out with um, a guy who was traveling and ended up, um, there was a piece of paperwork missing when he got it back. It's Spencer Conway. And uh, he, he got into... Well, he ended up getting sort of taken on a, on a bit of a story here. But uh, in any case, it's just a matter of, I was going to say, that check your paperwork when you get it handed back to you to make sure that you've got everything you're supposed to before you walk away. Yep. Yeah, don't leave it's your passport in the border. <laughs> that would be bad. It, it is very easy. Um, and with the sheer relief of getting everything done to walk away without taking the time to check that you have got all of the documents back again. Oh, um, way too easy. Yeah. Just, just take that few moments, rein yourself in, do it. My God, it saves a lot of grief later. Any other uh, paperwork mistakes anybody can uh, think of or, or, you know, things that you think are, are those common things, common mistakes people make? Well, you know, you were saying about doing um, too much research and preparation, how daunting it was. Um, when I was crossing from the Ukraine into Russia and I had read, so many nightmare stories about trying to get into Russia. And I was on this little ferry that was taking me across the wall to Russia, and I was so scared. I just uh, split up with a friend who I'd met, so I was single again. for the, You know, I, we'd been riding buddies, and so once again I was just in my own company. I was on this ferry. I was going to Russia. It just seemed so daunting, so scary, so frightening. And I got to the Russian border, and I was given a form in Russian. And I said, oh dear. And then this lady said, oh, English, gave me the form in English. And I was babysat and walked from one place to the next, from the customs to the immigration to the insurance. And it was so easy. It was so painless. It was so wonderful. It was such a lovely introduction of something that I thought was going to be just nightmarish, turned out to be a wonderful experience. So, um, that aspect of the paperwork was great. And, and that aspect of reading too much and being too put off, was it never occurred. It didn't happen. Oh, you're so right. Allowing preconceived ideas to take over it, um, negative preconceived is so dangerous, isn't it? As um, Chinese whispers, that's another perfect example, isn't it? <laughs> um, you hear stories from other people. They're coming towards you and, oh, yeah, my, oh, you need to really con be concerned about this road. There are massive potholes and um, they're going to get shot out and there are bandits around and all of this sort of stuff. And, well, their circumstances may have been completely different. Their, their experience, um, the weather they had, the, their health on the particular day, or whatever else it may be, be completely different to, to, to yours. Uh, when I was coming back from India, heading for Europe, um, in Pakistan, um, facing the section of road between Quetta and Taftan on the border with um, Iran. I heard so many stories about how dangerous this blooming road was across Baluchistan. And I worked myself up into a right nervous state, even though I'd been on the road for four years by this time, because the scare stories were so bad. And when I rode it, I thought, oh, that's a bit gnarly. And that was it. They were talking about the condition yeah. of the road. The condition of the road and the risk factor and the speed bumps and um, people trying to rip them off and because mm. I going to say those yeah. sorts of things. I mean, just because you made it through doesn't mean that everybody's going to make it through. 
You, you know what I mean? Because what, what I was going to say is so, sometimes ignoring local advice, I think, could be a problem too. Oh, I think you should always listen. Always listen, but then keep uh, allow things yourself to keep things in perspective um, and go out there with an open mind. So you pay attention. Of course you do. That's common sense, isn't it? Um, but when you're actually there, you don't allow those things to take you over and, st- and to fill you with so much dread and negativity that you don't enjoy or you end up doing stupid things because you've allowed yourself to get into that state. Right. Well, go and experience it for yourself. I see. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of it depends yeah, on your level of experience, too. You could get somebody coming the other way and telling you it's a terrible road, and they've been riding for three months. They have no clue. Yeah. And you've been riding for 20 or 30 years. And it's, yeah, so where's the problem? You know, I think that's exactly that what was account. happening to me um, with this situation. People were just coming straight out of Europe. They've been through um, Turkey and Iran, and then all of a sudden they're confronted with a road that was gnarly. It wasn't yeah. hard, but it was gnarly. And so they were just full of wow about it. Yeah, relative to a motorway in Europe, yes, it's gnarly. But relative to some of the back roads in India, so what? <laughs> yeah, quite. We're talking about um, paperwork. What about border um, crossings and currency? Are there some common mistakes made about currency? If you're to search for this online, there will be people who will tell you, you know, do your exchange, in particular if you're flying places, do your exchange at the airport. Other people say, don't, that's a fool's game uh, because you're going to pay, a, um, a, you know, you're going to get dinged there on the exchange rate. But what about those sorts of things, and like obviously motorcycle specific? I've said this before, and we've done this many times when we come to a border. We make sure we know what the exchange rate is. And nine times out of ten, the people that are exchanging monies at the border will give you a better rate than what you can get at a bank and definitely better than anything you'll get at at an airport. So you've got to know what you're facing. And really, you can only do that a day or two out from wherever you are because they can fluctuate quite a bit in some of the uh, lesser um, stable currency places. So, yes, you have to research a little bit. But that's the only problem we've ever faced. I think, in what, in fact, in one place we um, we got such a good exchange rate that the guy had actually came back to us and said, "Oh, I'm sorry, sir, I've made a terrible mistake." And he had; he'd made a big mistake. So we, we did give him some of his money back. <laughs> yeah, I think you can easily get too concerned about it too, because unless, if, if as long as you have an idea in advance of what the official exchange rate is. The numbers that they give you are either seem reasonable or they're not. And I know people who get absolutely crazy about 1%. I don't care about 1%. You know, you can spend hours worrying about it and stressing about it, but 1% or 2%, it really doesn't matter in the long run. Um, do the job, get, get, your, get your money and off you go. Don't get too stressed up about it. And anyway, you're probably only going to change a small amount of border yeah. because you're probably going to hit an ATM when you get into the bigger town anyway. So, you know, maybe you're doing $50 worth and that 1% or 2% is so small, it's just not worth sweating it. Exactly. I think the same about airports too. I mean, you fly into some countries and you haven't managed to get currency beforehand because for that particular currency, it's just not available anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so, well, yeah, okay. What are you going to do? Walk out of the airport with no money at all, except for your own currency? No, of course not. You just take whatever you can get. And quite often in airports, there's three or four foreign exchanges, and frequently they've got different rates. So just have a wander yeah. around. Take it yeah, easy. Well, I, take a look-see. 
Yeah, I flew into Indonesia just last year, and I had like you can't get Indonesian currency anywhere except in Indonesia. And walking through the airport, there's four or five vendors. One of them was really busy. The rest were all really quiet. Well, I knew where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to the really busy one because that was going to be the best rate. On the other hand, I asked the other guys what was the rate, and it was the difference was so tiny. I, I forget it. I'm not going to wait half an hour in line for half a percent. Forget it. You got my business. Just did yeah, it. You see, it's a, see, it's a convenience fee. <laughs> yes, absolutely. What about uh, bank cards with, with fees? Do you, do you think that's a you know common mistake, something to, to worry about? That is a trap for young players in this country. Our banks charge extraordinary rates for you to use your credit card overseas. You really need to be aware of um, how much they charge for certain cards. Like if you've got a debit card and then you end up using your credit card at a bank machine, They'll charge you um, cash, what do they call it, cash advance, which is a hideous charge. Yeah. So you, you really do need to be aware of what your banks charge um, before you go away and start using cards willy-nilly. Yeah, sort of a mistake to leave home and think that just because you've got a card, you can go ahead and use it. Well, you can use it, but what they'll charge you for the privilege can sometimes be a huge surprise when you get your bill or you go online to see what you've spent. And, uh, you know, your charges are astronomical. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've got um, one that gives us, I think it's eight free transactions a month. So we get two of them. So you've got enough um, to be able to go to the bank without um, uh, getting exorbitant fees. I guess another one to go along with that would be forgetting to tell your credit card company or your bank that you're traveling. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I'm yeah. just about to go on this trip to the States. I had to look up on this and um, my bank is now saying something completely different. Um, before, you always had with your credit card to report into them if you were going to go um, um, traveling other countries. Um, but now they're just saying, um, no, just go and check your bank balance at, um, in an ATM at, uh, at an airport. That's fine. Yeah, you know, we, I, we know you're on the way somewhere. This is what I was told just recently too, and I, and I didn't know if it was sort of across the board. What they're all doing it now? I mean, I, I'm, is there that much international travel going on? I guess they're 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 finding other ways to track things. Well, to be quite honest with you, I still emailed them and told them I was going. <laughs> I think a case. lot of it depends on your previous history. Um, if I go anywhere, I don't bother telling the credit card companies anymore because. Every year, I could be in three or four different countries, and this is a normal pattern for me. Mm. So it's no big deal. I'm not concerned about it. But if you've never been outside of your own country, and all of a sudden you fly halfway around the world, and you pull into an, a an Indian ATM, they're going to flag it for mm. sure. So you have to take your own pattern into account. We've it's had all ours. Pattern. We've had ours flag just crossing the country before, and, and and like I did that all the time, crossing the country back and forth. And um, so, you know, the one year you go and it's all fine. The next year, so you're six months, not even six months, and then you're traveling again, and all of a sudden the cards shut off, and they're saying, "Oh, well, we notice you. You know, you're you're moving." Well, yeah, I'm I'm traveling again. So I mean. Um, and now and this isn't recent. This is a few years back, but but I mean, I had it happen a fair bit. So I sort of got in the habit of telling them, telling them that that I was you know, going, going to be traveling. Yeah, it's never a bad idea. I think no matter what, at least you you can if they cut you off, you can say, "Hey, I told you, so fix it." Mm -hmm. The last time mine was stopped, um, 
was after I'd bought coffee and cake in um, the airport in Sri Lanka. And I swear my insur- my um, credit card company looked at it and thought, Sam, buy coffee and cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. How about um, wrong place or wrong direction for weather pattern? You certainly don't want to be in India in the monsoon, do you? Yeah, I mean, do you think that's a, is that a common mistake? Is that something you guys have heard from other travelers that, oh, we were, I was going here? Because I know I've heard it a few times, you know, where people are trying to cross the mountains and, and they find that, oh, it's the wrong season. Yeah, okay. yeah, we, we had a friend do that, um, trying to cross the, um, the, the uh, Balkans, I think it was, in the snow on his bike and, you know, he's got two feet of snow. He's not going anywhere. And you've heard us talk about this before. Our first trip, we reversed the trip over the weather pattern. And I'm so glad we did. And anytime anyone talks to us about traveling from Australia to Europe or or whatever, I tell them that story. And it's the first thing they do. And that's, you don't have to do a lot of research. You just have to know when the seasons are in different parts of the world. That's it. And it's the same if you're traveling from Ushuaia to Alaska. You, you look at the weather patterns there and you can do the whole trip. You won't get stuck. Yeah, it just should be an automatic too. thing that you do. I've just done it for the trip from, from Virginia to Arizona because, yeah. well, it affects the gear that I'm going to be carrying, doesn't it? Yeah. I think the, the newbie mistake would be simply just assuming that because it's nice weather here, it's going to be nice weather there. Well, I can tell you that June in Ushuaia is not nice. Mm. I can remember having someone out on a trip that showed up from a warm place and they wanted to um, they wanted to go paddling here on the coast and um, they wanted to wear their, their bathing suit. And I, I had to tell them that, you know, there's, there's, there's no way you can paddle in a bathing suit on the coast here. And, and it, was, it was quite the ordeal. Actually, I had, to, I had to refuse to take her unless she was going to buy clothing, which she was uh, very angry about until she got on the water and realized that, oh, yeah. It's not quite as warm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even in the middle of summer, mm-hmm. it's not warm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, and I always know, like when I go off on a flight to, to somewhere else and I'm going to ride, I really have to pay attention to the weather forecast for that place for a few days beforehand because otherwise my decision on what to take is affected by what I wore today and yesterday and the day before and what I think I would wear tomorrow here mm-hmm. because oh. my mind is not able to comprehend that massive change in hemispheres, for instance. It's just yeah. Yeah, really I find hard. it very hard thing. to pack. I find it very hard to pack for anything under other than the weather that I'm packing in. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Yeah. Your mind just just does not work on a different climate for packing. You just can't think that way. I don't know what it is. Yeah. That's what the woman that I told you about. That, that's what she said too. She said the same thing. Is that she was coming from a warm place and she just didn't, couldn't seem to get her head around it at all. Hey, yep. here, here's yeah. one to go along with something we talked about on the, on the last episode: obsessive photography. Um, you know, <laughs> that that can be a mistake <laughs> for sure. Yeah, um, I read a review on that exactly that the other day, and basically the thought was that they had done some testing um, with students um, doing photography classes and various things, and they'd done some specific A/B testing and a whole thing, and they came to the conclusion that. Those who took a very few pictures remembered better what they saw a few days later than those who took a lot of pictures. Yeah, but 
I think if they dug further into that, those who took few pictures had far fewer followers than those who took more pictures. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I, um, last, last year when I, uh, I went to South Africa or went to Africa and did a safari and had my lovely camera with me, got some fantastic photos of lions and cheetahs and hippos. And it was great and I enjoyed the photographic aspect of it. And I do look at those photos. They come up on the laptop. But should I ever do another safari, I'm not taking my camera. I'm going to sit there smugly, maybe binoculars, and watch what's happening and not watch it through the lens because I think that's a wonderful way to experience it. There's something lovely about being in the moment instead of being looking at apertures and ISOs and and, and sorting everything out. Just being in the moment. There's a lot to be said for that. Yep, I don't disagree you know, at all. Without me going into too many of my stories here, um, that, that's one thing that I used to tell people about with, with wildlife viewing when we're heading out because we'd see whales. And I used to tell them, you just want to consider how much time you're going to be spending looking through your camera because that's how you're going to remember this experience. And and all you can remember is that, that really narrow view of you racing around trying to get that thing in your viewfinder instead of just sitting back. So I tell people, maybe take some mm. shots, but you might want to consider just taking this whole thing in and then go buy a photo because there's tons of photos that are available to get do you guys remember the old phrase um or the old saying um snapshots mm-hmm. i i like that um big time photographers um used to look down their noses at anybody who took snapshots but it's so easy to arrive in um, an environment that's really interesting pull the camera up especially if you know a little bit of what, about what you're doing with taking a picture Take a quick picture and then sit back and enjoy. That means that you've got the double whammy. You've got benefits of both. There was um, this beautiful spring here in Bulgaria at the moment. We were sitting in the garden yesterday. It was a lovely day. And the cherry blossom is blowing off the tree. Every time there's a breeze, the whole sky just fills with cherry blossom against the blue sky. And you can't really photograph that. And it was just lovely just to sit there. And with every breeze, another cascade of blossom went along and we sat and we watched it my phone was on charge in the house anyway couldn't have taken phone if i wanted to and it was it was a wonderful thing to just sit and see it and not look at it through a lens i did a presentation um a couple of days ago and i was talking about the scene camping on the edge of the desert where there is no sound no cars no people the only sound is the sound of the breeze rustling through the grass and what a wonderful sensation that is. And I also added in no sound of clicking cameras because that would have just been so disruptive to that scene. Mm. What about, yeah. um, I think this would be a big mistake and I know everybody thinks the same thing, is skipping travel insurance. No. I think we've discussed this several times. If you can't afford insurance, you can't afford to go. End of. Yeah, end of. Um, how do you guys feel about um, this being a mistake of, of racking up travel debt? Mm. Mm. Done it once, never again. I don't know. That's a personal decision that you have to make. If you can go back to work and you've got a good job lined up or go back to an old job and you can get yourself out of the travel debt, so what? That's your option. You know, We, we were in Ushuaia approximately when we ran out of money, but we still went on that cruise to the Antarctic. So, you know, sometimes you just have to do it. If you're in the hole when you get home, so what? You can always work your way out of it. 
But so, like I say, that's the decision you have to make. Yeah, it's a good point. If you if you think you've got um, something lined up for when you get back, I guess you can handle it. So that's that's key, isn't it? Because if you're going to come back and you haven't got a job to start uh, to come back to, and you're not likely to get a very well paid job, um, then you've obviously got to be that much more careful. But if yeah, you have, exactly. great, fantastic, go for it. You know, for us, Susan had a job lined up, and it was a well-paying job as a consultant. So, so we're in the hole. Big deal. You know, six months we'll be out of the hole. So that's fine. So personal choice. We um, again going back to the last episode we talked about about things. You know, we, we talked about social media and things going crazy with social media. One of the things that that could be a mistake nowadays, in particular because of that, is not checking to see a site that are not checking to see if a site that you're going to, that you want to see has gone viral because you could get there and find the thing completely overrun. Yeah. I still want to see it. You'd go anyway. I'd go anyway. If I wanted to see it, I don't care whether it's overrun or not. I hate that it's overrun and it drives me crazy. And I'll try and go at a time of day, like really, really early when it's not going to be overrun. But if I want to see it, well, it is what it is. It's like the yeah. pyramids. You go there well, for a long time yeah. of day, it's nuts. I still want to see it. It's a popular thing. You know, some of these great sites in the world are popular. They're always going to be crowded. So yeah. you just um, deal with it. Yeah, exactly. Or, or you can get somewhere where um, all of a sudden they're doing work on some beautiful artifact <laughs> building or whatever, and you're there once. and scaffolding. Traveling around the world, every single photograph was t- he took of the sites, everything had scaffolding on. <laughs> yeah. We thought years ago, mate and I did a trip, we said there, there ought to be a, uh, there's a gap in the market for a website covered in scaffolding.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, that could be a whole sure. different photographic experience to photograph sites that are being fixed up or restored <laughs> while well, it's happening That's black and white photography scaffolding yeah. ancient buildings yeah. hmm. Ooh, there's a photo book there <laughs> how about um cultural insensitivity i know we've talked about that before that, that that could be a i don't know if that's a newbie mistake would that be a newbie mistake or is that a personality thing mm, that's a, a clueless thing. thing yeah clueless thing yeah you get educated I think that's one of the advantages of traveling overland is that you do get educated as you go. You are slowly indoctrinated into other ways of doing things and other ways of thinking, and that's okay. Um, I think it's the really clueless ones are the ones that are dropped in from the sky. That's where there's a real problem and you really see it. But I don't think overlanders generally are that bad. But some of them, yeah, personality, as Shirley says, yeah, some people just, just are plain clueless, and that's all there is to it. There's, there's a thing in, in Southeast Asia, I'm not sure if it's a Buddhist thing, but it's definitely something that occurs in Southeast Asia. And it is considered rude to show the soles of your feet. So that if you're sitting in a position opposite someone and you've got your feet on a table or a stool barefooted and your soles of your feet are showing, that's considered offensive. And it's strange because I've kind of taken that with me. Because if I'm now in a situation where I'm sitting, you know, drinking beer somewhere, someone's the soles of their feet are right in my eyeline. That's really rude. <laughs> yeah. I find it quite interesting to learn about all of the different, um, oh, yeah. the, the cultural habits and so on. It's like Vietnam. You never touch somebody on the shoulder. 
Um, because if you, in Vietnamese culture, the genie lives on the shoulder. And if you touch him on the shoulder, you dock it off. And and that's just devastating to somebody there. Um, and I find all this sort of stuff really fascinating. Where did these things come from? Um, that's part of the joy of travel, isn't it? Yep, that's what it's all about. What about um, getting directions? What kind of mistakes do you find <laughs> that uh, when it comes to getting directions? Asking, is this the way to? And pointing. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Don't do yeah, that. Yeah, we've done that one. <laughs> is this the road to, to Mumbai? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. well, I always remember we the just, one I Where does this road go to? Uh-huh. Yes. Then how many more people do you guys ask to confirm? It depends on Everyone. the country. Every time you stop. <laughs> Every time you stop, yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember the one in South America where we asked, is this the road, you know, or what's the road to Cusco, I think it was. And we were in, way up in the mountains somewhere. And guy pointed that way. And, and I knew Cusco was north. And this guy was pointing south. And I said, what the heck? Why? There's no way it's south. So we had a little discussion. And eventually it worked out that that's the road that the bus takes to go to Cusco. It continues to go south, hangs a left, goes into the mountains and turns left and eventually ends up in Cusco. But the road to Cusco is south. <laughs> okay. He only knows how to get there on the bus. So keep that in mind. Any other, you guys, have you, have you got anything else that you've thought of for, um, for common mistakes? Maybe something to do with bike service? Not. <laughs> That would be a mistake. Look after it. Mm-hmm. I see most of the mistakes I see with bike servicing is not doing enough, not doing it regularly enough. Most people are used to servicing their bike every six months. On the road, it's once a month. And, and over every t- day you ride an, a gnarly road. Um, every day. Set camp, put the kettle on, and start checking your bike over. Yep. Yeah. And over, over tightening things, Grant. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. A lot of people will say I'm crazy, but I carry a torque wrench for stuff. And I've been a mechanic for a long time, and I still use a torque wrench on the important stuff. And just plain don't over-tighten it. Is it tight or not? You don't keep continue to keep tightening. Yeah, the number of stories I've got of people stripping things, it's just so sad. I the, the torque wrench thing. You you said that before. That always shocks me because you know when you work on things for a while, you do develop a feel for things, and you you understand. You estimate the size, the material that you're turning into. It's not scientific. It's a it's a bit of an art, and I guess it's probably learned mm-hmm. through a bit of uh, oops. <laughs> I think I yes. torque torque that one, but but after a while, I mean, like you know, I I never would carry a torque wrench myself, and 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 I I don't strip threads. So I'm, I'm sort of curious why you... Oh, so you're probably under-torquing. That's the problem. No, I, um, I, well, I'll tell you a story. A guy did a full range of testing. He, he had this discussion with some friends. So he started doing some testing, got several torque wrenches and a bunch of people who thought they were good or thought they weren't good, et cetera, and did a full test. Everybody did it by hand and he checked the torque and then they did it with the torque wrench and the whole thing. So every, every test you can think of, he did a really good job on it. And the average incorrect torque was over 40% wrong. Yeah, Usually under-torqued. I'm not surprised at that. I'm not saying that I will get the right torque, but I'm saying it will be good enough for whatever part I'm working on in the absence of a torque wrench. 
be a professional broadcaster, Jim. Talking is your living. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wish I had a mute button for him. If it, if it doesn't like work, if it, <laughs> that's not very nice, Jim. <laughs> well, yeah, let me go on with that. Part of it is having been a professional mechanic and spent a lot of time, and I have several repair kits for strip threads. Because your average mechanic strips threads on a regular basis, and your average your average home mechanic strips threads on a regular basis, and your average professional mechanic makes a lot of money off those people that have stripped threads and damaged things, or bolts that have fallen off. And I don't know how many times I've heard stories of the bolt fell out. I know a friend of mine who was a mechanic, his uh, drain plug fell out. He didn't know it until the engine seized. Well, okay, I mean, these things happen, but... I don't know. Maybe I'm anal. Well, what do you mean? Maybe I'm anal. I am anal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally anal. <laughs> um, just to give you an idea of how anal I am, on my um, round-the-world bike, the R80GS, all the drain plugs and all the important stuff like the axle nuts and things were safety wired. So yeah, I didn't have to worry idea. about that. <laughs> uh, that's an old racer. Yes. Yeah. Well, I was a racer before that. On the other hand, if you'd had a friend who had his drain plug fall out and he was a professional mechanic, you think, well, you know, maybe it would be good to make sure it was tight enough. But having repaired many crankcases that have had drain plugs over-tightened, you kind of go, hmm, for the sake of drilling a hole and a little bit of wire, I think I'll make sure I'm not going to have an issue. And that's just me maybe over-preparing. On the other hand, I don't worry about it. So I feel good about it. What, what about crush washers? You know, crush washers take up no space. Yeah, take you a new crush washer every time, for sure. Now, I like the copper, the copper crush wires that visibly crush, but BMW started using aluminum crush washers that you can't tell that they're actually crushing. Yeah. They have to that's, be torqued. That's and horrible, I hate isn't them. it? Oh, I hate them. Come on, with, with the copper ones, when we were traveling, um, whenever we did an oil change or whatever, um, we would take the, the, the copper... Um, wash it out and we would stick them in the frying pan for 10 minutes and um, heat them up mm-hmm. and then put them back in again and we just didn't carry spares because heating them up just expands the metal again and off you go yep yep the aluminum ones are useless uh, it's hopeless yeah you have to torque it properly and like i said i've repaired far too many crankcases and you know what it costs to repair a strip drain plug on some bikes you have to take the engine out of the frame to do it etc oh god I mean, I've even had to strip crankcases right down to the bare bones in order to do it. I mean, we're, we're talking 500 or $1,000 to repair a strip drain plug because somebody got a little bit overzealous and was a little bit too concerned about making sure it was tight enough. That's a hell of a lot of fuel in a tank. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> can, I, can I make a sen- um, add a sentence in here then? The best adventures often happen on the road that you haven't planned to be traveling. And I think that if people always remember that, then they leave themselves open to opportunities. And that's what overlanding is all about, opportunities. Yeah, new adventures. And you don't know what the adventure is going to be. Yep. Sam, let me ask you this. When you Mm. plan an adventure, when you plan what you're going to do, do you build in some some adventure to it some some edgy things that are going to happen do you make um like in other words if if you're going to go from a to b 
and there's a route that's a reasonable route. Do you, do you sometimes look for ways to deviate from that route to maybe build in a bit of adventure? Yeah, for sure. Of course, absolutely. It depends on the amount of time that I've got. But if I've got time to take um, sideways turnings and on a big trip, then yes, I have, of course. You'll take the difficult route just for the adventure. Um, Well, it depends what you mean by difficult. Um, If it's it's a choice between doing um, a bog standard, very plain, very ordinary, um, straight asphalt road um, and doing one that is um, beaten earth and um, gravel that takes me winding through some awesome scenery that I wouldn't have seen from the asphalt, then I know which one I'll be riding. Graham, how about you? <laughs> well, um, we've sort of talked about this before. This whole, it depends on what your definition of adventure is. Um, and um, really, yeah, it's, it's when the plans go wrong. <laughs> and and uh, So, of course, I don't. I don't necessarily want it. I want it to go smoothly. Um, so, do, do you really though? Yeah, I mean, you, you're looking for like to sort of just do the route that you, you know, like to, to get from A to B, sort of. I mean, I mean, you you don't look for things that are a little bit more edgy. I think that will just occur. You know, I don't look for a tank slap after I've overtaken the truck or something. <laughs> I, Adventure I, finds I, you. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not going to sit down with a map and think I'm going to have an adventure. I sit down and think I want to see what Iran is like or, or something. So it, it's very much. I think it, it, it very much on your definition of, of what adventure is. So um, no, I, I'm going off for a ride. Really, I'm going to go check out a country, a culture, some architecture, a site, some new roads. It's. Um, it's very hard to say what, what adventure is, you know. I don't want to end up in a prison being strip searched or, or something. But I, I, it's not pleasant, Graham. No, because I read about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, 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 so, you know, I'm quite happy just to. If, if, if camping under the stars next to a fast flowing river with snow capped peaks and a full moon. Is your idea of adventure? Then I'll take some of that, please. That'd be fine. Blame me fine. Didn't you head towards Mosul? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but it was the shortest route between A and B. <laughs> right. <laughs> what were you going to say, Brian? Uh, I was going to say, I did it this week. You just find a new road and, and see where it goes. Um, and I think that's what an adventure is. Yeah. You know, yes, you can travel from A to B and and go the direct route, or you can. I, I was looking at the map the other day, coming back from Brisbane. Oh, I'll go that way because I haven't been on that road before. I don't know what it's like, but that's to me is what an adventure is, or motorcycle adventure anyway. So you try it out, and I'm with I'm with Graham too. You know, um, you camp somewhere and you got those beautiful stars. You look at at night time. It's great. Mm-hmm. That's part of your adventure, but also you can build in. To, to your, your journey, the sights and adventurous things that you want to do. For example, sure, jumping off a cliff um, oh, in no. a parachute. Yeah, what? I was strapped to the chest of a very large Turkish man. I was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't throw myself yeah, off the cliff. I had to follow and I had to strap myself to the ch- chest of a very what? large Turkish man too. Oh. Well, I, um, shall we go on to, um, to plugs? Okay. Yeah, why not? I think we should. 
Grant, what do you have for us? Yes. Well, I have one plug that's only useful to people in the USA at the moment because it happens in the Appalachians and will be happening in Arizona at the end of this month. We have a new event, I guess you could call it. It's called the Taggett and Baggett Enduro Caching Contest. It's a, basically a hum teaser. Get used to the idea of what a hum is, and a lot of people have no clue what hum is. We talk about the hum, and they say, what's a hum? Well, it's something you do with your lips and kind of go, mm. no, actually, that's not it. <laughs> it's Horizons Unlimited Mountain Madness, and Mountain Madness is a chance to go out for a ride. And if you think, um, my mind has completely gone blank. It's ironic. It was just when you said, if you think. I was doing good. If yeah. you think, I know. think gone. Stop. <laughs> think geocaching, um, getting out and finding tags, getting out in the road. We give you some uh, points, some places to find. We don't give you a GPS route, so you don't get to, to follow the GPS and ride with everybody else and eat everybody else's dust. It's all about finding your own way which is kind of what you do when you go traveling. So the original concept was, well, you need to be able to read a map if you're going to go traveling. So this is a bit of map reading, a bit of use of GPS if you want. It's all optional. But it's still hard for people to understand what it really is. So what we're doing is this tag it and bag it enduro caching contest. And all you have to do is go out and find these tags and all the information is on the website to help you find the tags. You put in your entry and you could ride the hum for free. If you are one of the monthly winners, so there's five monthly winners for Appalachians and five monthly winners for the Arizona event. So go to horizonsunlimited.com slash endurocaching and or slash hum will do, horizonsunlimited.com slash hum. And you can read all up about uh, the endurocaching contest. And it's going to be lots of fun. You get out there and you get to ride with your buddies, figure out where the tags are. There's always the points that we're using are really cool, beautiful rides, great places to go. So you get a chance, you got a, some incentive to get out and ride for a reason, somewhere to go. So check that out. And while you're at it, go to horizonsunlimited.com slash events, and we've got a whole stack of events this year. There's lots going on. But check it out. There's something somewhere near you. Very cool. Why not Canada? What's the deal? Next year. You can only do so much at once. Next next year, we're going to do an enduro caching contest for the Monashies as well. Um, but this year, actually, interesting, we, the Can West Travelers Meeting is the week before the hum. So if you want to come to British Columbia to some of the best riding in the world, beautiful paved roads, beautiful gravel roads, beautiful mountains, lots of altitudes, spectacular scenery, you can do the Travelers Meeting, which is a good-sized event with lots and lots of presentations going on. Spend the week riding, and then on the weekend, ride the hum and have a blast. The Can West event, we are doing a tag it and bag it contest to get out there and go and have some fun with it as well. So lots of opportunity to ride in some great riding country. Very nice. Well, um, Sam, what do you have for us? <laughs> I was hoping that you weren't going to ask me next because there was something that I meant to look up and I didn't why do it, so. But why is everybody so shy? Don't worry. I'll give you a minute. <laughs> Go ahead and look it up. I'll flip on over to Shirley. 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 Brian? 
<laughs> Brian, Shirley, come on, wake up. They're on mute. Their mic's mute. Their yeah, mic is mute. muted. Sorry, that's because the cat's been crying, and I thought you always <laughs> complain when our animals make noise because he wants his dinner, and he thinks if we're in the kitchen, it's dinner time. So I had the microphone off. Sorry, Aunt, I don't have any plugs, Jim. I, over to Brian. <laughs> She's been reading over my notes. Um, basically, I'm going to plug my baton ride around Australia, and uh, there's dates that will be in capital cities. In uh, right around Australia, um, with little ceremonies with commissioners of police everywhere. If anyone wants to come and visit us, that's fine. Um, Sunday the 19th of May, we'll be in Canberra at about 11 o'clock at the memorial site there. Most people in Canberra know where that is. Um, on Monday the 20th of May, we'll be in Sydney um, at the Botanical Gardens. On Thursday, the 23rd of May, I'll be in Brisbane uh, at the Botanical Gardens uh, uh, presenting to the Commissioner Ian Stewart. And then we take a bit of a detour, turn left and head up to Darwin. I'll be in Darwin on the 29th of May and then um, come down the west coast of Australia, down to Perth on the 9th of June. Uh, we'll be doing uh, something with uh, Xander Gabat at, at his shop. Um, most uh, people in Perth that know Xander and his adventure motorcycle shop. So uh, then we'll head back across um, towards the east, head to Adelaide on the 16th of June. Um, after that, jump on the ferry over to Tasmania um, and we'll be in Tasmania on the 21st of June. So, uh, and then back to Melbourne. So, yeah, anyone uh, want to catch up with us, uh, have a look at a Facebook site which is called Wall to Wall um, Ride for Remembrance. If you just put in wall to wall, um, three words, uh, ride for remembrance, um, you'll see all the details of why we're doing this. And uh, it should be a, a bit of a blast going around the country. Well, you, you Thanks. Got a lot of miles, Brian. Yeah, you do a lot of rides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 14, 15,000 Ks, yep. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Um, Graham, what do you have for us? Uh, well, we um, after the show we did last month about the whole travel influencers thing, that really uh, I gave a lot of thought about that and I still haven't really figured it out totally. Um, I found it quite disturbing about uh, the whole thing, wrote quite a long article about it, uh, which I write for the Adventure Bike TV website, uh, not really drawing any conclusions, but just sort of asking questions and uh, and uh, my sort of my views on, on travel influencing. And, and since that show last month, I came off of Facebook because I thought to a degree I'm a travel influencer and I've almost become what I despise and I'm questioning the whole thing. And uh, and it's actually been quite liberating to be off Facebook for a month, and, and I'm not sure if I'm going to go back on it. Anyway, all that aside, and it's connected. I got an email from a guy called Ian Anderson, who uh, not the singer from Jethro Tull, and uh, who seems like a really nice guy. And he is doing a tour of America 
called the Make Lemonade Tour, makelemonadetour.com. And he's going to be doing a series of presentations and talks uh, around different places. I haven't got the, but if you got, I haven't got the itinerary, but if you got the website, you can have a look. And it's talking about depression and mental illness. And uh, the reason he got in touch was because uh, when we were talking about the travel influences and we were talking about doing it for fame, and then I sort of mentioned about who wants to be famous and Keith Lear from the Prodigy committing suicide the other month. And so that's why he got in touch. And I think it's a very worthy thing that he's doing. I think generally there's a stigma attached to mental health and it's something that's probably not talked about enough. So uh, he's going to bring this into the light. And it's not one of these um, riders who wants somebody to pay for his adventure. He seems to have a genuine good cause, good thoughts. And uh, I think it's, and it's got a very uh, simple and easy to look at website. So I suggest you go and have a look at his website, makelemonade.com. Is it Make Lemonade Tour? MakeLemonadeTour.com and uh, and just see what he's doing and where he's going. And uh, I think he's doing quite a, a worthy call. So that's my plug. Um, now, Sam, are you prepared? Oh, I am, I am, I am. Sorry. I had a, a yellow sticker on my notes and I must have knocked it off. And I was thinking, well, where, where's that gone? Um, I've actually got um, three things that I'd like to plug. I hope that's all right. Um, the first two are new books. Um, the first one is um, by a chap called Christian Bricks, and it's called The Unsealed Seen Walls, and it fits in very nicely with what Graham's um, just talking about. This is a chap who um, travels down um, the west side of Africa, um, but he's an introvert, and he is really battling with depression. And it's an absolutely fascinating observation um, of Africa and its challenges and how somebody who is um, battling themselves deals with an in-your-face extrovert continent like Africa. So that's called Unseen Walls and it's by um, Christian Bricks. Um, it's a challenging book to read, but I thoroughly enjoyed it and I certainly won't be passing it along. Um, the second book I wanted to give a plug um, is uh, Timeless on the Silk Road, an odyssey from London to Hanoi. Um, Heather Ellis, I don't know whether anybody's read her first book, Ubuntu, yet. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed that, and I enjoyed this one even more. So Timeless on the Silk Road by um, Heather Ellis. And that I think that came out this week. Um, Monday, I think that came out. Um, anyway, any time now. Um, and then the final plug, of course, is my um, book signing and presentation tour, which is just literally about to kick off. I know I've um, mentioned this in um, previous shows. Regular listeners will be used to it. But for those who are new, um, April 19th, I'll be at Frontline Eurosports in Salem, uh, Virginia. Um, April 26th and 27th, I'm going to be at um, Horizons Unlimited in Virginia. That's um, Appomattox. Oh, I'm never sure if I pronounced that right. <laughs> um, from there, um, I'm going to scoot across to um, Mate One. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, uh, Don and Cassie McCoy um, hold a rally um, called the Stolen Pig Rally. Um, and that's a lot of trail riding. And um, yeah, it's just great fun. It's the first time I've been able to be there, but I've seen all of the reports and I've ridden in the area before. I'm only there able to be there for one night on my way through, but um, it's going to be great to um, link up with that. Um, so then April 30th, I will be at Gateway BMW Motorcycles in St. Louis. 
And then May the 4th, um, Eurotech Motorcycles of Oklahoma City. May the 11th, and that's a new date. It was originally going to be the 10th. It's now the 11th of May at Sandia BMW Motorcycles in Albuquerque. And then May the 17th, the 19th, I'm going to be at Overland Expo West in Flagstaff. And I hope I'm going to get a chance to link up with loads of Adventure Ride Radio listeners at the various events along the way. That'd be absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, sorry, three plugs, a bit greedy. Um, apologies. Are you are you going to be taking your F800 off-road? Um, I hope so. Ah, good. I won't be there long enough to ride any of the trails there, unfortunately. I'm literally just stopping for a night. Oh, I've I got um, three long days' ride to do um, to get to the next venue. So, um, But it'll be nice to socialize with everybody in the evening, at least. What tires uh, did you get on the, on the bike for your running around? I've put Avon Trek riders on. Um, they're what I've got on my bike in the UK, and I really like that combination. I think I've mentioned before how fantastic they are in the corners. Um, and for the longer, straighter stretches, they've got a, a fairly hard section running down the middle. What are they? The Trek riders, Tra- you said? Trek riders, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like them. But you know, if you're going to do really gnarly off-road stuff, then put some knobblies on. Um, if you're going to do full-time, all-the-time uh, roads, then you might want to have road tires. But if you're going to do a mix of everything, uh, I've been finding them absolutely fantastic. Hmm. Avon Truck Riders. Hmm. Very neat. Well, um, I, I think that's it. I think we're, we're wrapping up here. Um, probably kind of long this time, but... Um, that, uh, that about wraps it up. Perfect. Thanks, everyone. Okay, right, see you next time. See Cheers. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. You go back to bed, Graham. You might be getting the cold shoulder, mate. All right, 7.35 here. I'll tell you what, I'm going back to bed, but I'm not going to get the cold shoulder burger left for work an hour ago. Well, it's nearly cocktail hour here. Well, that wraps up this month for ARR Raw, and I want to thank my co-host, Sam Manicom, who lives in the UK, has four books and audiobooks following his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also have books on their motorcycle travels. You can get them anywhere ebooks are sold. Their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Graham Field lives in Bulgaria, is the author of both audiobooks and books you can pick up and handle and chronicle his motorcycle adventures. He's also got t shirts and his box set and a whole bunch of other things that he's flogging at his website, gramfield.co.uk. And Grant Johnson, of course, is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub literally for our motorcycle community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information and a huge form connecting travelers around the world. They also put on the hub meets everywhere you go. See the worldwide list of hub meets at horizonsunlimited.com. Of course, we love your support here for Raw and for Adventure Rider Radio. The more support we get, the more we can do with the show. Drop by our website and consider becoming a member of our Patreon team, adventureriderradio.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. And lastly, I'd like to thank our sponsor, freshtracks.co.uk, facilitating adventurous conversations. I'm Jim Martin. Thanks for listening. See you next month.